Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always by my good friend, my business partner, the lovely, the wonderful, the very sweet and endearing Jason Johnston Yellen. Jason Neil Johnston Yellen. I'll be honest. I thought there was going to be a different name at the end of all those adjectives. Because I don't think I fit any of them, but I appreciate you throwing them out this day. It's it. I can't believe that I got those words. That like those three words following all of those nice things. It didn't make sense. I thought I thought I was going to be talking about a Florida man, and not <laughs> not Jason. <laughs> uh, the good news is, though, I do always share my bath salts. You do always share your bath sauce. And, and, and a little crocodile every now and again, am I right? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah. Friends who share crystal meth stay together. Is that how the expression goes? The friends who uh, meth together, death together. That's what I heard. Oh, yeah. that, that would work. That would yeah, work. Well, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back from the, the southern, southern world. As far as America goes, you went down there. I did. I went down there, down to the... I think the kids call it the Florida Panhandle. I was hoping you were going to say Florida Panhandle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Haida and I took the kids, packed them into a plane. We double masked, by the way, on the plane, mm-hmm. and uh, and flew down to down to Florida to spend a little time with Mickey Mouse. To was Mickey Mouse masked? Mickey Mouse was like he was literally masked, like a gimp mask. <laughs> Like leathers, leather with zippers? You know that, like, when you see Mickey Mouse at, at I almost said at McDonald's, when you see Mickey Mouse at, uh, at Disney World or Disneyland, that's a person in a costume wearing a big mask. That's not really Mickey Mouse, right? Um, right. Do you, do you want to tell all of our kids about Santa? You want to, all, all, our, all our eight-year-old listeners, you want to talk about the Tooth Fairy? Like... What's this about, Joshua? Yeah, what like, up? like you've you've come back from Florida seeking truth. Is that it? Truth. You're now uh, yes. like you you are taking on the responsibility of unmasking Mickey Mouse. Literally unmasking Mickey Mouse. Literally unmasking Mickey Mouse. I was thrown out. Let me tell you something. I, I want to get I want to get really serious here because <laughs> I'm sure of it. Yeah. A few a few months back, and by a few months back, I mean sometime mid last year, uh, mid twenty twenty, we purchased tickets to go down to Mexico for April, with the hopes that well, come April twenty twenty one, the you know the whole pandemic would be behind us, et cetera, et cetera. And it, well, it, was, it was so flawlessly handled that I could see why that right? was thinking. I mean, right, right. This is going to be gone by. I think Easter was was an original date. So. So it'll be like a miracle. One day it'll just be yeah. gone, you know. Yeah. And it's fifteen and, people. <laughs> we just hit three million globally. Anyway, so we we booked this trip to Mexico, and then sometime around January ish time, the CDC basically <laughs> said, "Americans, stop going to Mexico." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like enough. So okay, all right. Well, we'll cancel it, and then. But we still had the week. We wanted to do something with the week, and so we looked at, you know, cost for plane tickets and all this stuff. Long story short, we were able to 
to purchase our tickets and purchase the hotel, everything all on points. It was beautiful. But we were nervous about traveling down south because of the whole COVID thing. And mm-hmm. so we double masked in the airport. By the way, going to airports is wild these days. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to reintroduce myself to them at some point in the future. Mostly it's just the announcements of, hey, everybody, the mask goes over your nose as well, not just your mouth. You know, you oh, hear nice. that everywhere. And that, that was really nice. And, um, you know, we had heard from friends that Disney had it locked up like as far as COVID protocols go. And we got there and it was something. So the capacity was down to 35%. And you hear announcement after announcement, the whole thing about the masks. It goes over your mouth, it goes over your nose. And if you're caught not wearing a mask properly, you will be asked to leave. It's a one strike and you're out kind of thing. Hand sanitizer everywhere. Like I, I, we really felt safe and leading up to it we were nervous to tell anybody that we're going because it seemed so incredibly irresponsible to be going to this place where there would be you know tens of thousands of people but it it was great people in people across europe are loving this story right (laughs) (laughs) and uh we came back and we all got the rapid covid test and we all came back negative so there you go so this leads me to an explanation. I'm, I'm looking for an explanation. Oh, here. all right. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I took a little bit of vacation time. Last week, you took a bit of vacation time. And we, we tried to make sure that the podcasts wouldn't have to take any vacation time. Correct. And so we set up an extra extra to go live while you were on vacay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems like it didn't entirely work out because <laughs> we can't have nice things during vacation time. No. And so you, you had to put in a little extra work while, while you were on vacation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. What, what, what happened? And, and let, me, let me just be clear. Before, you, before we put you over the barrel and, and show you the 50 states, yep. including those down there, the problem has been fixed. If, if anybody has not listened to the, the last episode of Extra Extra, they can revisit it, they can download it, they can listen to the whole thing. But we did hear from Jess, we did hear from, from Balancer, Anthony Rivera, we did hear from the good uh, Tim Mushaw, mm-hmm. and some other people that it kind of gone a little bit wrong. So, so what happened to the original episode of Extra Extra that you posted? It's funny you only mentioned three people, but there was there were there were hordes of people uh, letting us know that something went very wrong, including the, our, our beloved uh, Philippe Panavong, who who's out on the West oh, Coast, and he gets to good. listen to it earlier than a lot of people. And uh, yeah, anyway, so so here's what happened, and I only have you to blame. Um, <laughs> as I slept in my bed. <laughs> so, you know, you, 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 we run our podcast through Podbean and you start a new episode, right? So it's like, what do you want to do? I want to start a new episode. So you click that button and then it says, okay, upload your audio file. And so I picked an audio file that was named the way that I normally name audio files. 
but it didn't um. have the word final on it. So most of my audio files will be like the name of it, maybe a little code, and then it'll say in you know in all caps final like that. That's it. That's the one that you upload. Instead, I, I grabbed one. It didn't say final, uh, but but you know the the code was pretty much what I would do as a code. And what ended up happening is I uploaded just your audio mm-hmm. and with a lot of like scratch track, like stuff that was just never <laughs> going to be in the episode. And so a lot of people reached out saying, so is this a belated April Fool's joke? Like, are we, are you going to release another episode that has Joshua's audio on it? Um, I tell you, you know, so I so I set it up on the Tuesday just before mm-hmm. I went to bed. So, you know, some sometime around nine o'clock. I had everything up and ready to go. And then I woke up this morning to to all of these messages and I checked it out and I saw that the file was fifty four minutes and I said, No, 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 this is a forty nine minute episode. Yes, longer than it should be. The episode's not that long. And I listened back, and of course, it was just you. And so I had to go in, and I had to replace the old audio file with the new audio file. However, there's always a lag. And if people are subscribed mm-hmm. to our podcast, mm-hmm. it will automatically download the mm-hmm. first episode that comes. And if you mm-hmm. tell people, okay, I've replaced, it with the old, I've replaced the old file with a new file... If Apple doesn't catch up or if whatever podcast app this person or that person uses doesn't catch up, they'll only re-download that same bad file, which is one of the problems that happened with, with Balancer. He simply could not get the new file. Um, so he had, yeah. I think, you think he had his wife download it on her phone. Anyway, I found the error. I created a new one called, and this is what I want our listeners to to focus on if you didn't have a chance to, to listen to the last Extra Extra episode. It will say Extra Extra Season 2, Episode 7, Version 2.0, V2.0. Mm. Mm. So look for that one. That's the one that you want to be downloading. <laughs> and uh, But I'll tell you, after the technical difficulties of me, after five years, that's always been that's been my biggest fear for for the past five years, uploading the wrong audio. Mm-hmm. For those that did get a chance to listen to the actual episode version two point the feedback has has been has been phenomenal. I mean, we're getting reached out to really left, has. right, and center about this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I even friends who I didn't know were regular listeners reached out for follow up on that episode. So that that was kind of fun to see. Um I will say though when I heard that you just posted my original audio, I thought, "Oh, this is it. Finally the Midget Rodeo Association is going to reach out <laughs> for all of my disparaging comments um that that I've made in reference to their sport." And then when they didn't, I thought, oh, okay, so you must have cut some of my original audio. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I will say, and this is a, a broadcasting tip that, that I learned very early, uh, not, not really from my own mistake, but from other people's mistakes, is that if you've got this microphone in front of you, mm-hmm. 
and this computer file over here is recording, yeah. be very careful about any of the words you're putting in. Um, uh -huh. Don't just trust Joshua to erase the wrong stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, you know, I, I regret, you know, I, I, you know, I regret my own comments about the Midget Rodeo Association. <laughs> you know, I, I regret them. I, I wish I hadn't said them. But even the fact they haven't gone public, you know, I, I still, I still shouldn't have said them. So there you go. It's a blanket apology to my, my friends at the Midget Rodeo Association. So two things. Firstly, uh, the preferred nomenclature is little person. So please, dude, little person. It doesn't make for the right acronym, though. <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, wait a second. R read that to me again. No, no, none of it makes sense. It's the MRA, right? It's oh. the thing that you get the vaccine for when you're in, when you're in school. <laughs> this is going nowhere. Just making, so just listen, um, the good news is it's not as if you were hanging out with Billy Bush and, uh, uh, and, exactly. and had that audio released. Exactly. Exactly. Right, and, so. and, you know, the, the, you know. There are, there are thoughts I try not to have so that I don't accidentally say them out loud and then I don't mm. accidentally record them mm. and then you mm. don't accidentally mm. post them. So, yeah, I, I try to cut it at the source, right? The old brain. I try to cut it at the source. So I had an idea, Jason, and and thankfully you were on board with me. And I'm totally changing gears. I don't know if you could tell this, but I'm totally changing gears here. The feedback from this episode was so very strong, be it from emails, Facebook messages, emails across, you know, questions at One Nation Under Whiskey, Single Cast Nation, you know, you, you name it, Inst Instagram messages, uh, and so on. And after receiving all of this feedback, it seemed evident that people kind of liked what we had to say about someone else's own whiskey list, right? <laughs> and so and so I said, you know what? Let's let's get together and put together our whiskey list. What are the what are the top 10 must-have whiskeys on on our shelves? And and so you you were going to pick 5 and I was going to pick 5. And I also have some honorable mentions here as well. But I thought this would be a good chance to say, you know what? Let's put a pause on the guests. And let's just have a conversation, you and me. What five bottles do you always have to have on the shelf? What five bottles do I always have to have on the shelf? And why? Yeah, if I can add to that please, as well. Please, 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 In the Extra Extra episode, we use an article authored by Zach Johnston. Yes. My, you know, obviously my, my cousin uh, from another mother. And so we we used Zach Johnston's article, and, and his article, I think, think was, you know, bottles $150 to $200. Correct. And so some of the people that reached out to me, um, well, well two, two things here. Number one, I don't think we said anything about the selections necessarily that were offered up by Zach. It was always a case of, oh, I could see why he would do that one. Oh, that's interesting that he picked that one. Mm. Oh, you know, you know, I think he picked the Open 18. And you and I had said, well, I might have gone with the Open 14. I did speak with somebody last week who had said, no, 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 I'm, I'm an Open 18 guy. Mm -hmm. And and actually, I'm, I do prefer it to the 14. And so it's nice, right? These, these articles are great because it's just opinions, right? We're just, yeah, it's just a chance to have a whiskey conversation. So 
So I thought that was interesting. That we, I don't think we disparaged his selections. We just kind of discussed around them. But then further to that is I don't go reaching for $175 to $200 bottles of whiskey. And one of the things that when, when we had this idea for the podcast and started looking and started thinking about my own list is I've really got a wheelhouse between about $35 and $90, where if you're a distiller, if you're producing the OB, or you're putting out the official bottling, you've got my attention, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm quite happy to move within that range and pick up your bottle and try it, maybe add it to the collection, what have you. Once we go over about $100, $110, I'm buying single casks at natural cask strength from independent bottlers. 100%. And and in trying to piece together how we would do this podcast, so it got me thinking as I was putting together my list for Mm -hmm. this episode, it was a part I'd never really thought about was, oh, that's how I'm spending my money. That's interesting. (laughs) And as I look over my own shelves, I don't have a lot of OB 18-year-olds, OB 21-year-olds. I I don't think I've got any OB 25-year-olds or 30-year-olds. But as I look around, I've got independently bottled 25-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 26-year-olds, 23-year-olds, um, and then 18 and, 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 and down from there. And so in you and I agreeing to kind of put some constraints on how we're going to build our list here, we did go with OB. Mm-hmm. We did go with official bottlings. We didn't put a price limit on this. And no. so I, I'm kind of curious to see how your shopping aligns compared to my shopping. And so, we, so we've got OBs. Instead of IBs, we don't have a price restriction. We don't have ages. It's not what are your top 10 bottles that are 18 years old. No, it's just bottles OB, oh, right? Official bottlings that should be on your shelf. Something that if, if, if this bottle isn't on your shelf, then, you're, then your whiskey shelf is incomplete. And just just to add on about the the parameters while while there isn't well we don't have to specify an age statement we don't even have to specify that it's scotch whiskey it doesn't even have to be single malt it's just top whiskeys right could be a blend right something like that yep um one thing that i want to point out is i specifically avoided uh, putting anything in my list that is from the Impex portfolio because I, I didn't want to show favoritism there. Um, and and I, I just, you know, to be honest, Kilhoman is one of my absolute favorite distilleries, but I didn't feel comfortable putting them in there. And so, so these are all, everything I've picked is not in the Impex portfolio. Okay. Yep, Understood. Let me add one more thing. It's so funny. You can tell that we're nerds hmm. because the rules are almost as important as the selections. And so here we are continuing to divulge the rules of the game before we get to the selections. But I've, I've just got one more outlining statement. Since about last October, mm. I've been leading corporate tastings online. Mm-hmm. 
And I've, I've been doing about one a week. Sometimes I might get a couple a week and, and sometimes some weeks I might not actually have any, but I'm certainly doing about four or five a month. Yeah. However that breaks down. And I, I pull a lot from the Impex portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've been pulling Oishi mm-hmm. and I've, I've poured different expressions of Oishi. Uh, brandy cask, sherry cask, Mizunara cask finish and Sakura cask. I've been pouring Port Escape, and I've I've been pouring the 110 proof. I've also poured the eight year old. I've been pouring Milk and Honey Classic, which is another that I I personally love. I have been pouring Kilholman, Macker Bay, Psenig, uh, are the two that that tend to appear. And then outside of the Impex portfolio, I've been pouring Amrut. Oh, nice. I've been pouring. Yeah. Uh, wild turkey. I've actually been pouring some private oh, barrel picks oh, nice. in there. Nice, nice, nice. Right? Yep, yep. I've poured some Westland. I've poured some Catoctin Creek. Beautiful. And so I've had, you know, where are we? For six, seven months of doing these almost weekly tastings where I haven't been trying to say, here's. Glenfiddich 21 here. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of Zach's list off the top of my head and I'm, I'm not doing it very well, you know, but here's the Oban 18. Like that hasn't been the goal of these corporate tastings. Mm-mm. My goal has been to pour things that maybe haven't been on radars. And I think we said this in the extra extra episode, right? You don't need to tell somebody about Macallan. You have to tell somebody about distilleries that aren't Macallan. Like that's yes. that to yes. me is 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 my raison d'être, you know, w- within whiskey, right? Is as I want to, I want people to leave a ninety-minute tasting saying, "I'm going to look for that the next time I'm in the liquor store," having never heard of it up to ninety minutes ago. That's the goal. Doesn't it feel great to introduce people to to something new they've never tasted, and you see that aha moment in their eyes, like, oh, wow, I, I didn't expect this to taste that good or to taste like this or what have you. It's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. So a bit like your Impex disclaimer, I've tried not to simply pick five whiskeys that I've been pouring for seven months ah, yeah. in my corporate <laughs> tasting. Smart. So, <laughs> so I, I, did, I, I did a bit like you, which was kind of, okay, got to go away, got to look over the shelves, got to look for a, a few hidden gems or things that have always been there that, that I reach for. That's the, yep. that's the thing. So, so without further ado... One more comment. Okay. When you and I recorded that extra, extra, we tried to make extra, extra a tight 30 to 35 minutes. Yeah. And I think you just said a moment ago, what you did post was 54 minutes. What you had meant to post was 49 minutes. Correct. But it, but it goes to show the way in which these conversations, these sharings of opinions, they, they start to run away with themselves, <laughs> right? Because there's, mm-hmm. there are reasons that we say what we do and we pick what we pick. And so I just wanted to throw in this final line so that we could say in good conscience, without further ado, let's get to this. That leads me to my comment. It's just, what... <laughs> <laughs> right? Doesn't lead you to your first 
selection? No, it doesn't. Well, because because what what are we telling the people? In my mind, we're telling the people what the bottles are, what our tasting notes are, and they can be simple, and and why it is a staple on the shelf. Yeah. I should also add in from a moment ago. Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah. Well, then I'm going to add something on that. <laughs> every single taste, all these corporate tastings, every single one of these corporate tastings has had one single Cast Nation pick. I, I meant to say that earlier. Oh, I didn't you. want people to think, why is Jason, like, Jason just has a side hustle where he just pours things for corporations? Like, yeah, he does. But he also pours a single Cast Nation as part of all of that. Oh, there you so. go. There you go. Well, I've got nothing to anyway. add on top of that. I just want to start talking about the whiskeys. I don't know what's been yeah. Let's let's go. So we also have nothing in our glasses. You know, we're gosh, we're at least twenty five thirty minutes into into this episode. And we have nothing in our glass. Oh, oh did I just flash that past the camera? I I, I didn't really see it. Um, okay. So as we outlined the rules of the game, I realized that my first selection it plays on something that you had said over text, but we haven't said so far in this episode is if you were to pick an independently bottled something or other, just make sure that it's one of the always available selections. Correct. It's not Correct. You know, a unique single cask that you know, only went to the Belgian market, right, for, for argument's sake, mm-hmm. which I do have one of those just over there that I've not opened that I would love to. Um, so I have actually selected, and it, it's one of those funny things. I think when you do really well with a brand... And it becomes ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. To not think of it as an OB becomes really quite difficult. And so I, I picked this bottle off my shelf without even thinking about it as an OB, a representative of an OB. There's no distillery attached to this. Can we just really quickly, just in case there are any listeners out there, we've said OB and we did explicitly say what OB is. Can, can you just really quickly, for the listeners that may be kind of new to this, the differences between OB and IB? OB, own bottling or official bottling, you know, as put out by a distillery or as put out by the corporation that owns a stable of distilleries. Mm-hmm. So the Lagavulin 16 that you see on your retail shelf, yep. the Ardbeg Cory Vrecken that you see on your retail shelf, the Glenfiddich 12. Uh, all of those are OB, official bottlings, own bottlings. It's, it's straight from the distillery. It's in the company livery. It's out and about. Then the IB, the independent bottling. Those like ourselves, like your dear, dear friends at Single Cast Nation, who source casks, who then bottle in Single Cast Nation livery. And I've been saying this as part of my tastings. By law, the independent bottler name must be in a larger font than the distillery mm-hmm, name. Mm-hmm. There cannot be confusion there. And so even if an independent bottler wants to put the distillery name front and centre on the label, it must be smaller than the independent bottler name. There you go. And then, Thank you. Yep. and our, our good friends at Compass Box do this, and our good friends at, at Douglas Lang do this, and our good friends at, I guess, Weems do this, where they themselves have standard offerings that you will see on a shelf. You mm-hmm. will see Epicurean. Uh, you will see... You Spice know, gosh, King what's, what's, from Weems, right? Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Or you'll see the Great King Street line from Compass Box. 
uh, which is a, a couple of different blends that they've got going on there. So these are regularly available products. Mm -hmm. and, and that leads me perfectly to thinking about those almost as an OB because they are so ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. Is my first bottling here is Great King Street Glasgow Blend by Compass Box. There you go. So, so why do you pick it? What are your take? Like, what what draws you to this whiskey? What about it makes it something that needs to be on the shelf? Yeah, this this is very easy to share because I've been sharing this since last October. I have been including the Glasgow blend in my tastings <laughs> because a host of reasons. You can find this and. In offering up a an uh, offering up an average American price is a diff difficult thing to do because of how many different states and how many different retailers and you know different reasons for different price points. But I will say, this is anywhere between thirty five and fifty five dollars across the United States, mm -hmm. and blends get such a a bad rap that to be able to show a bespoke blend that is exquisitely put together that also draws upon grain whiskey, peated malt whiskey, mm. unpeated malt whiskey. There's a bit of Clinlish in here, a distillery that we're very fond of. There's a bit of Craigellic in here, although the official notes don't say it, but they do give geographical location and it reads like Craigellic. Bit of Craigellic in here, a bit of Laphroaig in here. That's named mm. uh, on the website, on the webpage. So you're looking at full transparency here. You're then also, and I make a point of saying this in my tastings, and I've, I've said this, Christ, literally a million times. I don't drink 43% whiskeys. I don't drink 40% whiskeys. Those are 57 and 60% water. They're often chill filtered. Glasgow Blend gives me a chance to talk about actually drinking 43% whiskey. But then talking about it's not chill filtered. Yeah. There are still yeah. oils in there. There's still texture in there. And so it gives me a chance to say 43% whiskey isn't necessarily a bad thing mm -hmm. if you know X, Y, and Z. So, it, it you know, and, and, and then as I mentioned a moment ago, I'm talking about grain whiskey and grain production. I'm talking about single malts and mm -hmm. single malt production. Mm -hmm. And then I'm using that as a jumping off point to talk about Oishi, talking about 100% rice production, moving off to milk and honey in Israel and talking about 100% malted barley, but produced in the Scottish style, the double distillation in the copper pot still. So Glasgow Blend allows me to go in a lot of different directions, Smart. but to use that first dram as, a, as an encapsulating point, I will also say, I can literally drink it like water. And it's it's very dangerous. Now, and I feel like I've brought this up <laughs> in, other, in other places in One Nation Under Whiskey. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you say to me, pick five whiskeys that you think should be on every shelf, boom, that's a no-brainer. That comes to mind immediately. Yep. And of course, it's Glasgow Blend and I'm from here and I'm not a million miles from Glasgow. And they have brought back the statue with the cone on it, on their label. It used to be on there, and then it went away, 
and now they've just brought it back again. You know, I was just going to ask you about that because I loved that. And then it went away. And so now it's back. That's lovely. Yeah, I did not love that it went away. I thought it really, it, it took away a little bit of what I thought was the fun of the Glasgow blend. It also, and I was just reading this the other day, the Glasgow blend got its, or John Glazer got his inspiration from the book Whiskey by Aeneas MacDonald, which is a book that I recommend to endless numbers of people, which was published in the 1930s. And in there, Aeneas MacDonald talks about a style of Glasgow blended whiskey that was particular to the city. That was the jumping off point for John Glazer. So, holy moly, like <laughs> there's so many reasons to be drinking this whiskey. And it would be a mistake to not drink it because it's a blend or because it's 43%. Correct. And I have not been paid to say any of this, but I do believe it with all my heart. Do you know who introduced me to that book by Aeneas MacDonald? I hope it was me. I'd like to say it was you, but Billy Lumsden beat, it, beat you to it. Oh, I think you... Did you say that in the interview? <laughs> no, I didn't say it in the interview, but we did bring it up okay. in, in, a, in a previous episode. Because you, okay. you, were, you were put out a little bit that, uh, that Bill Lumsden beat you to the punch by gifting me that book. Well, I, I know for a fact that I sent you a copy of the you book. You did. Well. I, I've got two copies. <laughs> <laughs> it reads doubly good. Good. Good, good, good. Okay, so there you go. Number one for Jason. Done. So number two, I'm actually going to show you my bottle for, for my whiskey number one. Holy macaroni. <laughs> what the heck? What? So that doesn't make any it sense. It doesn't make <laughs> any sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So can you describe to our listeners what you see? Very easily. It looks like a glass pepper mill. It does look like here, do you need any pepper on your on your salt? <laughs> always. Always. <laughs> so Hanukkah of 2019. It was either Hanukkah or my birthday. The the two kind of overlapped. This is this is what happens when you're a December baby. Um, I was gifted by Haida a a really nice decanter, and I have a, I have a soft spot for decanters. I like the idea of having a singular decanter that you place prominently. That is something you always go for. If you have company over, break out the decanter because that's the whiskey we're all going to enjoy together. And you would say with a decanter, it's a whiskey you want to be moving through quickly. And that's what I was it's, just going to say, right? Yeah. It's, it's something good, good, you're good. just going to, you're going to fill it and you're going to empty it. You're going to fill it, you're going to empty it. And so I said, oh, this is, I know, I know exactly the whiskey I'm going to have in it. And man, I can't wait until next spring, next summer, when we have people over and we'll be sharing this whiskey. Well, all of a sudden, COVID hit. And, mm -hmm. and there, was, there weren't get-togethers. And there, it, there simply was none of that. And so the whiskey that you see in this decanter is hmm. from the same bottle that I, had, that I had you know, filled it with back in December of last year. But to me, this, this is a whiskey that Everyone should have on their shelf. And if they don't love it already, they need to learn to love it because I, th I think it's always exquisite. <laughs> so this is the Lagavulin 16-year-old. This 
so interesting yeah. that you picked that. Oh my uh, goodness! Uh, <laughs> I I had it in my hand and I put it back on the shelf. Mm-hmm. It's this was my interesting. It was my gateway whiskey. I tell the story all Indeed. the time, right? Indeed. And um, you know, it's one of these ones that for years I was convinced of of how it was made. So it's forty three percent. It's got a good, rich, dark color to it. Truth be told, that's <laughs> caramel coloring. This has been chill filtered, um, but I. But for years, I didn't know that, and and I would say to people, "Well, it's it's got to have some sherry cask matured whiskey in there because mm-hmm. you sense the richness as you're nosing it and as you're tasting it. And boy, look at the color! It's got to be sherry. It has to be some sherry influence. Nope, it's mm-hmm. all it's all bourbon cask matured and with caramel coloring to keep a you know a standard color from bottle to bottle to bottle um but despite the caramel coloring despite the chill filtration which i would have to say is a fairly lighter chill filtration because there's good oils in the glass and good oils on the tongue okay um this remains a remarkably rich and rewarding whiskey and and i'm going to i'm going to say it here really quickly and, and listeners may have heard this story. If you've been to a tasting of mine, you, you, you may have heard me talk about this. What I liked about this whiskey out the gate, and this was back in 2004-ish, 2005-ish, somewhere around there, is that it wasn't the tasting notes that turned me on. It, it was the fact that it evoked memories of going camping with my dad, right? It's Yeah, it's, yeah. It's the leaves, it's the soil, it's the campfire, it's the, the sweetness from the baked beans. It, it's, it's, it's all the things. And it was the first time where I was drinking something where I said, this is not getting me from point A to point B. In other words, feeling normal to feeling kind of drunk. It's bringing me back in time to a really good time in my life. And, and that, if that doesn't qualify this whiskey to be like always on my shelf, then I don't know what does oh oh there's a song in there you are always on my, my shelf, shelf. you are always, always on, on my shelf <laughs> oh it gives me goosebumps um talk to this though yeah so when I, when i didn't pick the lagavulin 16 mm-hmm. for this even mm-hmm. though mm, i had it in my hand i thought am i gonna pick the lagavulin 8 because of an evening, that's a real go-to for me, is that mm. Lagavulin 8. Interesting. And so for you, because I I know you've 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 had them, you you know your whiskies. Where do you put the eight in relation to the sixteen? So the, the to me the sixteen is always the winner. It's from a flavor standpoint, it's always the winner. And the unfortunate bit is it I, I don't know if it's because I have an attachment to this bottle, mm-hmm. right? If mm-hmm. I didn't have that mm-hmm. attachment, would my answer be different? I just don't know. But I I will say I kind of like the lower ABV in the 16. I, I think it's mm. – I like that softer approach. And mm-hmm. the, the 8 is wonderful and it's bright and it's vibrant and it has – <laughs> you know, it just it just screams of Lagavulin, and it's delicious. Mm-hmm. But there, there, it's lacking, it's lacking a certain softness that I really like about the sixteen. 
So, yeah, if I had to choose, I would I would say the 16 over the 8 and then I and and normally I would say the 12 over the 8 too, but I think the 12 is so so it's it's just too expensive nowadays that I don't even consider the 12 anymore. Yeah, so yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. I, you know, <laughs> I've also got that you know, old man whiskey drinker where the 2002, which was the first release, and the 2003 were were home runs mm-hmm. on the Lagavulin 12s, mm-hmm. and and I want to say maybe that the 06 was maybe a return to the 02 and the 03, but I don't want to be that guy who just every year gets the Lagavulin 12 and says, oh, it's not like it was in my day. Oh, in my day, that's <laughs> I just don't want to do that, and so I I think I moved away from the Lagavulin 12 maybe around 2015, maybe around 2013. I also started buying the, the facial bottlings of the Lagavulin around the same time as well and put my money into the fish bottlings instead of the 12. And, and that is, when it comes to the facial bottlings, so for those of you that don't know, facial is the, the festival of Isla. It happens every year towards the end of May, and each distillery gets its own day to... to to highlight, to celebrate that distillery, and each distillery will release an annual Vigil bottling. And when it comes to the Vigil bottlings, Lagavulin is always my must. I must get the Lagavulin Vigil bottling, period. With all this talk of, of Lagavulin 16 and, and Vigil and Isla and me just having that Laphroaig component in the Glasgow blend, I've actually reached for a Lagavulin 16. I've, I've gone back to my shelf. I pulled down the Lagavulin 16 that I did not pull off earlier. Mm-hmm. That came out wrong. I This has got a, an inch of dust on the shoulders. Uh, I have no idea when I last popped this. <laughs> and so that, that's, that's ultimately why I didn't include it, right? Yeah. Be, because I'm, I'm not popping it every day. I will also say the L code on this is an L6. L6, so that was 2006. My gosh, you really don't pour that too often, do you? <laughs> it really, it, you can see why it didn't make it onto my list. So in the interest of fairness, it is lovely though. I, I do talk about it all the time and I will I will find when I'm pouring, you know, the Kilhoman at, at the end of some of these corporate tastings, I will often compare it to a Lagavulin a Kalila, mm. right, to talk about different distillation techniques, to talk about different phenols in the barley and how distillation can affect that and so on and so yeah. forth. So I do talk about Lagavulin a lot, but I really reach for the eight way more than I reach for the 16. What's our our average national price on a Lagavulin 16? It's around 99 bucks. And to be honest with you, I would I would say that the majority of my bottles on my shelf may be an L13 because in, in 2013 or 2014, I found a shop that was selling these for 49 bucks a pop. And I just, mm-hmm. I, I, I bought a mm-hmm. case. So, so there you go. That would definitely do it. Hmm. It is interesting though. It does taste like being at the distillery or being on the it, pier. It, it does. It, you know, when you when you talk about it taking you back to camping with your father, it's you 
those notes, that the wood notes, the smoked notes, the sweetness, the kippers, the smoked fish, mm, mm-hmm. right? Those notes are they're right there. Mm. So I'm going to go from one extreme to the other here. All right. So here I am. I, I pulled the 16-year-old back off. <laughs> I grabbed the 16-year-old Lagavulin off my shelf, which I had returned earlier, and it's got an inch of dust on the shoulders. I'm currently opening a fresh bottle of my next whiskey because I recently finished the end of my other bottle ah, on this. Okay. So you're going to hear this is a fresh cork. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there's there's fresh cork. I'm yeah. trying to keep it slightly out of shot. I, I can't really um, see what it is. I'm, I'm oh, trying. Gosh, that's a full, that was a full bottle pour there. Gluck, 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 gluck. That moved fast. I will also say I surprised myself when I when I pulled up this bottle here. I'm sitting on a 700 mil bottle of this. Mm, the color is nice on that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Is, is that is that natural color? I'm led to believe so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> let's check the label. Since labels are changing around the industry, let's see. Oh, interesting. So say if it's 46%, that, that should give you a... Well, the good news is it is not 46%. The days for 40 and 43 are now behind us, Joshua. Oh, right. <laughs> Keep that in mind when we go to your next whiskey. So th- this is easy. I, and I know it's another one. We've talked about this uh, a million times on the podcast. This is an essential. Absolute essential. Everybody should have a bottle of this. There's no two ways about it. And it's that color and it's high strength and it's wonderfully, wonderfully oily in the glass. The fact it's a 700 ml bottle suggests to me that I probably got this for a cracking price out of the UK. Price has gone north in the United States in recent years, same as the UK. Is it it's, age statement? It's now up yeah. there. Is it age there's stated? No age, there's no age statement on the bottle. Hmm. If I told you the strength, you would know the exact bottle within a heartbeat. Is it a space cider? Neither I nor the distillery consider themselves a space cider. It's got to be Glenn Farkless. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm even looking straight at the label and it says Highland Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. Uh-huh. Yes predates the Speyside being a region. <laughs> it was just in a time of Highland whiskey. Oh. So yeah, so you know exactly which one it is. Yep, it's got to be the 105. It has to be the 105. Be right? How could it not be the 105? What's interesting to me about the 105 is I don't necessarily recommend the rest of the line, but I absolutely think everybody should have the 105. On That's their interesting. Shelf. Okay. Okay, so, all right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Just again, because it's a reduction in alcohol, right? If I can get Glenn Farkless at 60% in sherry, aged somewhere around 8 to 10 years, I know that has moved up and down the spectrum. Um, It used to be young teen, uh, 8 to young teen, according to the venerable Michael Jackson. But I've I've heard in more recent years it's, it's under 10 now, but eight to it ten. It did for a while have an age statement on the back, and it would just say aged 
10 years or not less than 10 years or something like that. And that was there and then it went away. I, I think they, you know, they just kind of go hmm. fast and loose with the, does it say 10 on yours? I'll tell you, this is really weird. I've got a 700 mil bottle, but it's got French writing. Weird. And so how on God's green earth I would come to have a 700 mil bottle of Glenfarclas 105 with French writing on it. I have no, <laughs> no Scooby. But it, it says on the back, uh, 10 on de age. Wait, wait a second. Did you just open well, that? Well, actually, it doesn't, doesn't say 10. It says 10. Did you just? 10. I just opened it. Yeah, this is the bottle I just opened. Should I not have opened this? So have that, I made a mistake? That's the famous French 10-year-old Glenferkless 105. There's only one bottle of that ever made. Is that the one that you got? Uh, I'm so glad I opened it. So glad. <laughs> so glad. That makes me incredibly happy. Um, yeah, so it does. On the back, it says 10 years of age. Okay. So there you go. And so you, you just like me. Have been, How do I have this bottle, Joshua? You must have gotten it on auction. I guarantee you got it on auction for a song. You probably, threw, so? you probably threw 30 pounds on it and saying... If someone beats me to that, then they deserve it. And if I, if no one beats me to this, then I've deserved it. And I, I think that's what must have happened. That sounds like something I would do. Um, so I will, say, I will say this just before you make your point. Um, when Carl and I, uh, Carl, my good friend Carl England and I were at the distillery in two thousand and nine, you could get bottles of Glenfarclas one hundred and five in the distillery shop for under thirty pounds a bottle. Jesus Christmas. Wow. And the thought that that was only the better part of a decade ago is remarkable to me. And how much does this go for now? I think, you know, uh, an average national price in the United States, you might be looking at $90. Okay. Okay. It took a long time to get up to that. It really, especially Glenn, this is one of the things that I love about Glenn Farkless. And one of the reasons why I often suggest not just the 105, but their line in general, is that the pricing is always good. When it comes to Glens, it doesn't get much better than, than Glenn Farkless from a pricing standpoint and a price-to-value standpoint. Oh, yeah. Right? It's just delicious. And, that, and that's where, and I, I perhaps misspoke earlier when I said I, I don't recommend the rest of the line. What, I'm, what I meant to say was... There's not a particular age statement that I say go get. There's not a particular yeah, strength yeah. that I say go find, yeah. right? For me, it's Glenfarclas 105 and then a bunch of second places. Okay. And so, yeah. And even as I'm sitting sipping on this, is it higher alcohol? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Does it drink like 60%? No. Not in never the slightest. Does. No, never does. <laughs> it's like drinking syrup. It's just like... Golden syrup here, and, oh, and honeyed. Oh, it's so delicious. And and, the, and right. And so this leads me to the question that I was going to ask earlier, because both you and I have been drinking this whiskey for as long as we can remember. It has changed over the years, right? Yours says ten years. I've had some of the old eight year stuff. I've had some of the NAS stuff. It it's it's adjusted. And and I wonder if, like, do you think it's always good? Or do you think there was a period in time where it was just 
that much better. It's still good, but not as good as when it was an eight-year-old, right, or, or something like that. It's a good question. Thank you. I'm here all week. And I would say... Tip your waitress. You know, it's so funny, because I'm, I'm going to use a word that you and I often roll our eyes at when the industry says it to us. Smooth. Proof. Starts with a C. Cun... Yeah. Cunning linguist. Oh, you're so close. Okay. So close. Yeah. Okay. Consistency. Consistency, yeah. yeah. Glenfarclas 105, to me, is so wonderfully consistent. And if our remit for today is bottles that you recommend hands down, bottles that should be on every shelf, mm. bottles that you should always buy when you go to the liquor store, you want that consistency. You do. You yep. want to be able to return to the same thing. And when I say to someone, you must buy 105, if it's got peaks and troughs, I don't want them to come back and say, you know, I got that 105. It was a bit thin. It was maybe a bit hot. Like, Ooh. I'm a bit surprised you recommended that. I don't want to entertain that. I want them to go spend their money and say, that was a good recommendation. And so... <sighs> Sherry casks have clearly changed. Sherry casks clearly aren't what they once were. Has Glenfarclas been affected by the change in the sherry industry? Probably. Is Glenfarclas 105 consistently good? I think so. I stand by it, yes. <laughs> you know, in coming up with this list, I I thought of Glenfarclas 105. And because I do believe that it's something that should be on the shelf at all times. It's a must-have. But two things. A, I knew it, I knew it would be one that you would pick. Mm. And, mm -hmm. and B, the last time I tasted this was after hearing of your dad's passing. I'm so glad you bring up my dad. <laughs> because... <laughs> When you talk about the Lagavulin 16 connecting you through to, you know, camping with your dad, I remember, obviously, the Octave, and we've talked about it numerous times, about getting the Octave from Glenfarclas and bottling and yeah. having those bottles ready to go, and my dad saying, oh, it's rocket fuel, but it's delicious. I also remember drinking 105 with my mm -hmm. dad and always putting the 60% 105 in front of mm -hmm. him. And it just being in his absolute wheelhouse, far too strong for him. He would be somebody who would want to take his 105 down. Yeah. But in terms of drinking, yeah, go ahead, take it down. Like, absolutely no qualms there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm right there. So, you know, this is why I love you dearly. The fact that you bring up my dad around Glenfarclas, right? It just, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a connection. It absolutely is. And, a, and I think 105 absolutely stands on its own two feet without me making that connection. The same way you and I agree Lagavulin 16 yeah. stands on its own two feet without you making that connection. Two solid drams that are worthy of the memories that they help to spark. Do you know I have a really difficult time, put, like I... I I don't think I've poured it since, and I have a really difficult time pouring it now. And it's similar. I'll, I'll tell this story really quickly. You know, every year during the Jewish High Holidays, the night before Yom Kippur, you have this service called Kol Nidre. And it's, it's a beautiful, mm -hmm. yep. beautiful, stirring service and a musical service. And it's, 
it's 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 when you feel all the feels, right? And I had for for years had been going with a friend of mine, Sharon, Sharon Besser, um, and she was she was my Cold Nidre buddy, and maybe about oh geez, maybe four or five years now. God, time passes. She passed away. She died of cancer, and I, I simply can't go to the Cold Nidre services because mm. she's not there. Right. And not that, and, and so it's not as if I ever drank 105 with your dad, but I, I get that same, <laughs> that same feeling, right? That same yeah. thing where yeah. now all of a sudden there's a preciousness attached to it. And I'll drink it again, likely in your presence, but I just have a tough time drinking it now. Well, let me see if I can get through the next two minutes without crying, but I will say this. Last weekend was the the Masters tournament, the golf tournament, conclusion of the Masters. Mm. I, I haven't really watched any golf during COVID. My dad and I, my fondest memories stretch back to 1988, the first time I watched the Masters with my dad and we watched Sandy Lila Scotsman win the green jacket. And last week I was sitting here in my office, I was watching the feed on my computer and I thought, okay, when they go walking up the 18th, I got to pour something mm. to enjoy, quote unquote, with my dad. Mm. And I, I poured our Glen Farkless nine-year-old double cask. Ah. And so everything you're saying speaks to exactly how I think about, mm-hmm. you know, us and my dad and Glen Farkless. And so, yes, so I, I toasted the old boy last Sunday good, good, while, good. Uh, while they walked up the 18th. And, uh, yeah, it was real, real special. So everything you're saying, one hundred percent resonates with my heart and I thank you for that. I'll close on this. My dad would appreciate this. For those of you, and again, we don't get paid by any retail stores. We certainly don't play favorites with any retail stores. I'm just, I've just done a wine searcher search mm. for, um, for Glen Farkless 105. The average price that they're reporting for the United States is $96 oof, a bottle. Oof. A store that I know about, who I have never purchased from, but a store that I know about, the Wine and Cheese Place in oh. St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, sure, of course. They currently have it for $73 a bottle. <laughs> Run, don't walk. That's worth pointing out. That's <laughs> yeah. worth pointing out. And before this episode goes live on April 21, yeah, get, uh, get a couple Jason bottles. might have already <laughs> taken advantage of that, so... If there are none left, uh, just drop me an email <laughs> and uh, I'll happily sell you one for $96. No, that's not true. I was just opening their website, A, to make the purchase, and B, to see if it talks about stock and it doesn't reference stock. Let's see if I can put 18 into my cart. I have 18 in my cart, so there's at least three cases of it available <laughs> for $73 a bottle and I will not be buying all three cases, so... <laughs> now you're going to add on so another case, just so you have 24 bottles. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so now that now that we've gone ahead and and given a little bit of a, uh, um, we've shared a bargain, and that mm. would have made old Neely happy. So, after sharing a bargain on the 105, what's next in your list? So, interestingly enough, and I was going to wait to pour this one, but it, but I think now is a good time to pour this one. Interestingly enough, I also picked a Glen Farkless. So I also, th- I think that this, in addition to the 105, 
is something that is a staple on your shelf if you appreciate good sherry cast matured Highland whiskey slash Speyside whiskey. Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to upset some people, namely all of our American listeners, because this this bottling is not available in the U.S., so you have to buy it from a U.K. retailer. But it is mm-hmm. so worth it because, in my opinion, 105 aside, in my opinion, this is the Glen Farkless that outshines the rest of them. Oh, I'm curious. I'm really curious to see what you pull out here. And it's 46% alcohol, where a lot of Glen Farkless's are 43%. Okay, I've got a hunch. Got a hunch. So this is the 15-year-old. And in the interest of full disclosure, that is not my hunch. That was not your hunch? What was your hunch? I thought you were going to talk about the 21, actually. The 21 is nice, but that 21 is available in the U.S. So we get... Instead of I wondered if you were making something with the strength of it. I wondered because you and I have had a conversation uh, about maybe the twenty-one being different strengths in different markets. Yeah, I think it's forty-three in some markets, forty-six in other markets, something like that. That's what I remember us discussing previously. So you got the fifteen, which yeah, the fifteen is not in the U.S. Is the seventeen still in the U.S.? The seventeen is still in the U.S. and and it's a lovely whiskey. But what the seventeen seems to lack that the fifteen seems to have is is a certain vibrancy. So the fifteen is living in this world where you can tell there's a bit of age on it, right? There's that note, whatever that note is, where you say, okay. That whiskey's been in cask for a while, right? Whatever that note is. And then that that brighter vibrancy from simply being a younger, a younger whiskey or maybe a whiskey that's in a less active cask, right? Where you have a, a bit more spirit forward going on. So this whiskey lives so comfortably in that world of being bright and vibrant, but also having a bit of uh, elegance and, and uh, softness to it. And isn't this funny? This is now my second whiskey where I'm talking about reaching for that softness, right? The 16, Lagavulin 16 has a softness. The Glen Farkless has a bit of a softness to it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Would you in, would you in some ways describe them as smooth? Um, I, <laughs> I, in, I would in some ways punch you in the face. I, I, on behalf of our dear listeners everywhere, I had to ask that question. So I took one for the dear listeners. I've received a virtual punch in the face. I tell you, I, I pounded my 105. It has gone. And I'm actually back at my other glass, which still has the Lagavulin 16 in it. Oh, so And this is, I, I'm going to throw this out here, just while you're tasting over there. Mm. When you and I, and I'm sure anybody who takes the time to listen to a, a whiskey podcast like this one is doing the same thing. But in meeting people, I love, love, love getting to know their palates as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And in putting this Lagavulin 16 next to this Glenfarclas 15 at 46% and having you fully articulate the reasons for your selections... Even though you and I have, have known each other for, gosh, 10, 11 years now, and we've drunk together plenty of times, and we've discussed whiskey plenty of times, and we've tasted 
thousands of single casks together, I still love getting an additional peek behind that curtain. Softness, mm. right? It's easy to forget the things that work with with someone's palate. And to have you reiterate softness is like, yeah, I always forget that about you. Is how much you like soft whiskies. And and conversely, how much I like aggressive, abrasive whiskies. But but I think, and I could be wrong here, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I will say, at least for me, I, I also enjoy those big, rough and tough, abrasive, young, mm-hmm. you know, grab you by the taste buds whiskeys. Mm-hmm. As I imagine, you also enjoy soft whiskeys. Exactly. But it's what do you reach for first, right? And and that's what this list is about. It's like what what do you what needs to be on your shelf and, and why? And and I mean in a way, I'm discovering my own palate here because I made that connection. Wait a second. Both of these are soft. Like, I hadn't really put those two things together. So it's nice to, it's nice to be able to, to just have this session and, and vocalize it a bit. Well, and it's a bit like me realizing my own spending patterns, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I buy OB up to, apparently, $96 mm. on average. And then I move my triple digits over to independent bottlers and natural cast strength single casts. Yeah. Right? Well, I didn't realize I did that, but apparently I do. Here's, here's another interesting thing about the Lagavulin 16. As I'm sitting here and I'm thinking in my office while we're recording, I'm getting party balloons somewhere. Why am I getting party balloons? Are my kids doing something downstairs that I'm getting party balloons? The Lagavulin 16, which has no sherry no component sherry. in right. it is giving me party balloons, which is a note that I absolutely associate with sherried whiskies. 100%. Could it be the Glenfarclas 105 glass is putting some party balloons into the air that I'm combining with my Lagavulin 16? Very wealthy. My nose is my nose is back in my Glenfarclas 105 glass, and I'm getting party balloons yeah. out of the Glenfarclas 105. But holy moly, imagine taking, and I know you've already done this in you and uh, Mike Andrews did this way back in the day. You, you've done your 50-50 Lagavulin split with Lafroy. Mm-hmm. Imagine taking like Lafarclas 105 and doing a 50-50 with Lagavulin 16. I, I trust me, as as we we're <laughs> as you were talking, I, this was going to be something that I was going to mention. Like, we should be doing a 50-50 split because it's probably delicious. That big sherry presence along with that peat, it's probably magical. What would you call it? Lagafarclas? Glenavulin? What would you call it? I, yeah, yeah, I would want to take advantage of the Farkless and the Lager. Those, those are unique to each distillery. The Glen doesn't, it's not unique enough. Yeah. But you, you would have a Lager Farkless 1605. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, what I like about the, the 15-year-old, because I know exactly what you're talking about with the party balloons, and this is something that I get... Oh. Typically with younger Glenn Farkless, right? 12 years and younger, you get some plum going on, you get some party balloons going on, things like that. This 15-year-old doesn't have the party balloons. It's it's sherry, but it's more earthy, a bit more savory than it is sweet. There's no, like party balloons also is, 
is a hint of sulfur, which is just the right amount, which can be lovely. This has no sulfur at all. Though having said that, you know, this is a bottling I always have on my shelf, and I have had party balloons in the 15-year-old. But this one, you know, there may just be a bit more older juice in here. It just gets to that. It, it's so autumnal. It's so incredibly autumnal. Mm. And this mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. right, and to me that's comfort. So, Yeah, I, I know that a, autumnal note is something you and I have discussed. <laughs> foie, 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 hashtag humble brag. You and I have discussed in the warehouse at Glenfarclas mm-hmm. as we've been sampling casks. That's a terrible thing to say. You should not. I mean, every you should you should, yeah, you should remove those last sentences yeah. and put in my disparaging comments about the Midget Rodeo Association because they're <laughs> less offensive. Listen, the one thing that I will say is, when when we're in the Glenfarclas warehouses, I don't get that autumnal note in the 1953 casks that we tend to sample from. That is a completely different profile. So I don't want to just fwa 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 about the, the, the autumnal casks. I, I do want to point out that they do have other styles. God, we are such dicks. <laughs> like, it's so amazing. It's so amazing. God, we're such assholes. Oh, oh man. So what do you got, okay, what do you got so next? In moving on to my third here. Mm-hmm. I didn't think twice about including it because it absolutely meets the remit. But it was one that I thought, I wonder if we're both going to show up with the same one. (laughs) Okay. And (laughs) if I'm remember, oh shit, oh my God, that cork is super loose. Oh my goodness, I forgot that I did that. So... For the benefit of our audio listeners who's not following along on video is, and this is going to give away exactly what I've selected, this distillery doesn't always have the best corks. And so I opened this and it broke immediately, immediately. Wow. Uh, on the, the day that I opened it, I didn't open it for this recording, this was previous. But when I opened it, the cork broke and so I had to fish it out and strain it a little bit and then... Like you, and like I'm sure many, many, many of our listeners, I have got literally hundreds of whiskey corks that I can use to, oh, yeah. to oh, yeah. put yeah, yeah. put in the top of bottles yep. who have had a problem. Yep. No cork I own fits this bottle. None. And so the one that I used it was... It was enough of a fitting, but not a tight fitting. Mm. And as I'm prone to do and you're prone to do, and Sam Simmons is prone to do because he's the bugger we learned it from, I always invert a bottle before I pour from it just to help those alcohols get Mm. reintegrated, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Just to get... It's like shaking a cask before you bottle it, Mm -hmm. before you sample it or what have you. And so I just turned this bottle upside down and the liquid came out from under the slightly not perfect fitting substitute cork. And I got it on my hands and on my legs. Yeah, see, so you, you need corks that hermetically seal the, the liquid in the bottle. You know, interestingly, I don't, do the, I don't do the tip thing anymore. I do a shaky shaky, which is what I learned from David Stirk. And that's a habit that he got into. He would shake the whiskey bottle and then he would look at the bubbles and if the bubbles were kind of the color of the whiskey, then he knew that that whiskey had caramel coloring in it. And if the bubbles were clear, 
then you know oh, that whiskey does not have caramel coloring in it. Well, I'm very pleased to say that I just swirled this aggressively and got nice clear bubbles on it. So, this is a distillery that both you and I love <laughs> from a, an underrepresented region. This distillery is so beautifully entrenched in tradition that, uh, you know, you can you can visit corners of the distillery where the the spider webs date back to I think the original <laughs> founding of the distillery. Uh, they have a wonderful setup where their mash tun they they remove the draft from the mash tun, but they remove it to the roof, and then it is taken away from the roof by tractor, which is uh, is, is a it's a bit of a bit of a chore. And so yeah. do do you have anything from this distillery in your list this day? So two things. I did see the <laughs> I did see the bottle. Um so I know uh-huh. I know yes. what distillery it was, but had I not seen the bottle, your description uh-huh. of how they moved the draft to the roof. I, I only know <laughs> of one distillery that does that. And <laughs> and I have more whiskeys from this distillery and one other distillery than I do of any other distillery in my collection. No, this and two others. And so it's so it's Springbank, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And no surprises there. Can I see the color of the S? It's red. So that sounds like it may be the cask strength 12-year-old. There you go. Good job. There we go. I'll show you the color of my ass because I oh, okay. I also chose one. So yours is green. <laughs> uh-huh. Is that 15? It's the 15. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't confident in that because when I pulled down my 12-year-old uh, cask strength, I noticed I had like an aqua-colored S on my shelf here. Uh, and I actually had to lift up the bottle to see what the aqua S. And when I first saw it, as you know, I'm red-green colorblind. And when I first saw it, I thought, is that the green S? Is this a 15-year-old? And I pulled it up and inspecting in better light, it was aqua. And it's a 13-year-old single cask as put out by the distillery. I have that same bottle. <laughs> I may have picked it up for you in Atlanta. You may have. Yes, in fact, you definitely Cause, did. Yep. Because I was at a Tower uh, wine and liquor store. Massive, 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 massive. And boy, did they have a Springbank selection. And I was texting back and forth with you what I was standing in front of. Mm. And you were texting back, yep, I'll take a bottle. Yep, I'll take a bottle. And then I said, yeah, the... They've got a, a Springbank local barley from 2007. And uh, and it was like, I don't know, 80 or 90 bucks. And you were like, if you don't want that, I will take it. <laughs> and, and I said, with all due respect, Joshua, I've already taken it. <laughs> but I think I did get you a 2008 local barley. You did. Did you got me a few Springbanks then? Yeah, it was around the same yeah. price. Yeah, around the same yeah. price. Yeah, I think that day I spent maybe seven or eight hundred dollars in that store, and I was there on an Impex call. 
I was there to do business and I walked out spending seven or eight hundred dollars <laughs> on Springbank. To get it out of the way first, I did the wine searcher uh, for the national price. And I have to say, Springbank 12 cast strength is carrying an American average of $133. So a, a few things you have to remember here. Springbank doesn't make a lot of whiskey, so we don't get a lot into the States. And any pricing that you're seeing will definitely have the 25% tariff on it. So normally that, I think the last time I bought a 12-year-old cast strength, I, I want to say it was like maybe 88 bucks or something like that. No, 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 I take that. It was, it was $95. It was right around the same price as the 15-year-old. Okay. Well, even here, I'm looking at, there's, there's a place in Texas that has it for 120 place in D.C. that has it for 125 um, and then it goes north from there. So, <clears throat> but to get back to the remit, for the episode is Springbank 12 cast strength represents that distillery so incredibly well to my mind and still delivers me the cask strength experience Mm -hmm. that I'm looking for. And you and I have done this of a day. We have just messaged the other and said, hey, you just want to catch a dram at the end of the day. What's the one thing that you and I always have available and ready to go is Springbank 12 cast strength. Always. And that's why I wondered if I would be pulling something that we each selected. Because it's it's just so good. And it's a distillery that ought to be well represented. It's a distillery that you ought to know. And again, we're talking to a listenership who are listening to a whiskey podcast hosted by two Jamokes. There's a very good chance... I would say 90% of the people listening to this podcast know the Springbank Distillery and have a go-to Springbank. This is mine. Springbank 12 cast strength. Great, great representation of the distillery. If I had a bottle of the 12-year-old cast strength on my shelf, I would definitely have selected that, but I recently emptied my last bottle. I have recently emptied my last bottle. Yeah. Yeah, and and the fact of the matter is, I I haven't purchased any new bottles just because of the price. The price is just too much. I think it's a wonderful whiskey, but I'll drink their ten year old uh, any day, every day, and and buy it for a much much cheaper price and and still be happy, right? So so I I put a pause until I see these tariffs mm-hmm. go away. Mm-hmm. That's just mm-hmm. me. That's yeah, just me. I have I have another unopened bottle of this behind it on the shelf so Smart. I'm good and the one that I'm I'm pouring from is about 80% full and I you know I drank this last year with you so so the the 12 year and and I'll I'll go into why I selected the 15 year old um yeah in its place in a in a moment but could you go over the the general breakdown of casks on the 12 year old I know it changes I know they'll play around with bourbon and sherry and sometimes put in Madeira and like they, this is the one, one of the things that I love about Spring Bank and I'll talk about it in a little bit when, when I start talking about mine is that, that C word that you mentioned before, consistency. Mm-hmm. Spring Bank mm-hmm. really doesn't care about consistency and, and, and never really have. I Pause there for a second. Right, right. 
Because there's a difference between what you're saying with consistency and what they talk about with tradition. And so when you talk about the yeast that they use, it's the same. They're still using a, a dry brewer's yeast, mm-hmm. right? The washbacks are old as sin mm-hmm. and in some places crumbling apart, but they're not swift to replace them because that's what they've traditionally tasted like. The flavors have come from those. And so I, I just wanted to be clear for our listeners on tradition, they're not looking to change a thing. No. But in terms of flavor profile, there's some movement there, some different casks involved, and some different flavors roaming around. Cor- correct. So they'll, they'll play around with the recipe a little bit. But then also, and, and now granted, things may have changed. It's, it's been a while since I've had this conversation with anyone at Spring Bank. But the, the understanding that I had was when they put out their 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old, etc. They look at a spreadsheet and they say, okay, uh, this next batch of the 10-year-old is going to be 30 casks. Let's select casks 1 through 30. All right, batch 2, perfect. Let's select casks 31 through 60, right? And they just get down mm-hmm. the line because, like you had said, they stick to a very specific tradition. They mm-hmm. have a, a, a general flavor profile, and if it changes up a little bit here and there from release to release, they're kind of okay with it. And that's one of the things that I that I love about them is that they they don't go for that consistency. And so if if I'm running low on a bottle, I'll always grab a new one um, to see if it's different than the previous one. Or if I find an old bottling that has a, a bunch of dust on it or if it had the label's a bit different, right? I'll always go for that because they don't have an issue. They're not trying to stay consistent. They're just trying to bottle good whiskey. And I'm okay looking for that inconsistency. It, you know, I would say you can go to Ardbeg. Go to Ardbeg 10 and follow the laser codes on those Ardbeg 10 mm-hmm. bottlings. I would yeah. suggest that Ardbeg is almost as inconsistent as Spring Bank is, specifically with their 10-year-old, in a wonderful way, because it's always different. There's always something new to find. And, and, I, and I like that. And, right, and this is one of the reasons why you and I likely have more IB whiskey, independently bottled whiskey on our shelves, than we do OB whiskey, because we're looking for those differences, even if it's nuance, right? We, we want to see the differences in whiskey and look for new flavors. Yeah. And, and you'll always find it with Springbank. Yeah. I'm trying to work out the way to encapsulate everything you're saying here. And it's almost the word inconsistent doesn't encapsulate what I want it to encapsulate. And so on one hand, what I hear you saying is it's consistently inconsistent. However, I think that's too tidy. Because the tradition is such an important part here that there is a DNA. There you go for our, our friend, Dr. Matt Bishop. <laughs> there, there is a DNA to Springbank that is unmistakable, even as they play around mm-hmm. with occasional different flavors or batching mm-hmm. or, you know, you, know, you know, what have you. So, so yeah, I, I, consistently inconsistent is too tidy. 
But I do like what you're saying about even if you know Springbank, there'll still be a new wrinkle to uncover. There's always something fresh to it, right? You're, you'll always find something new when you pop that cork. Um, Which is an amazing thing to say about a distillery from 1828. Right? It's it's amazing. <laughs> it's wonderful. I, I absolutely love it. And, you know, tr- truth be told, Springbank is my favorite distillery. But there, it wasn't always that way. And, and this is why I picked the Springbank 15 as my bottle. Years and years ago, let's, let's, let's call it 2007. I'm just pulling an air, out of the, an air out of the year. I'm pulling a year out of the air. And I remember being on some sort of message board, and someone mentioned Springbank, and there was Sally. It was Sally Dorset who, in that chat room, had said, Ooh, Campbelltown. And, mm. you know, this was early on where I was still learning quite a lot. You know, I, I, came, to, I came to whiskey very, very green, um, but was, you know, like a sponge wanting to learn everything. So I saw, okay, Campbelltown, ooh, what's that? And so Campbelltown, what's this? And she said, oh, it's, it's, it's a region of Scotland. It used to be the big, one of the biggest regions, and Springbank <laughs> is, is, you know, one of, one of three distilleries there. Maybe there was two at the time. When did Glengyle reopen? 2010 10 six, six, seven? Six, yeah, no, 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 single digits. Yeah, yeah, single yeah okay. So, right, and so I said, Oh, this is interesting. And so, and so I said, well, What should I go for? And, and she had said, Springbank 15, that's where it's at, that's what you have to get. Mm. So I said, Okay, I'm gonna give it a go. And at that time, it was, it was the most expensive bottle that I'd ever purchased, it was around $90, $85, $90. And, uh, but I figured I'd give it a go, right? So, um, so I pour a glass and I nosed it and I smelled it and I tasted it and I realized I hated it. Hated? I hated it. I absolutely, it just, it tasted like, like I was getting these, these, uh, low tide and kippers and, you know, all of these notes. Yes. You, who came to whiskey through Lagavulin 16, uh-huh, uh-huh. didn't like the low-tide kipper notes yep. of Springbank 15. Yep. yep. It, this makes no sense. It, Go on. It was flavors that didn't, speaking of not making sense, it was flavors that didn't make sense and flavors that I didn't understand why they existed in a drink. And And I often tell this story about my discovery of Springbank and I compare it to my dad, and I may have, once I start mentioning this, you may say, oh, I, I know what you're talking about here. I compare my discovery of Springbank to my dad's discovery of Bob Dylan. Like once I heard about Springbank, everybody was saying, you, you got to try it. You got to get a bottle, pour it. Once you, mm-hmm. once you discover Springbank, you, you're simply never going to go back. Okay. And... And my dad told me this story about, you know, growing up in the, in the 60s. And all of his friends were into Dylan. And he didn't mm-hmm. understand it. He couldn't get it. The guy's voice was terrible. His guitar playing was kind of sloppy. And it was just like the same thing over and over again. There wasn't verse, chorus, verse. You know, it was just like, I don't get this. 
And what he told me was his friend lent him a Bob Dylan album. And his friend said, just listen to it and keep <laughs> listening to it until you get it. And my dad, my dad had said, I did just that. I would listen to it. And I'd turn it around and listen to the other side. Then I'd turn around and listen to the other side. And I got to a point where I couldn't stop doing that. Right? This doesn't sound healthy. My point is, I got to probably, you can see how much is left in this bottle, right? There's, there, there's not, even a, not even a quarter left. There isn't a lot. But I, I got to maybe a quarter left in the bottle. And it was at that point, and I really disliked the whiskey, but it was at that point I realized, wait a second, I'm not pouring this because I'm trying to discover how to love it. I'm pouring this because I've finally discovered its beauties. And now I want to pour it. I don't need to pour it. And it was at that point, I said, there, my palate was so uneducated. and Not that my palate was uneducated. It simply lacked the context. Right? And, yep. and, and, yep. Now, and now it had it. And now it knew what to do with those flavors. It's kind of like when we do tastings where we're featuring a few different peated whiskeys and invariably you get a certain percentage of the room that says, I hate smoky whiskey. And you say, okay, that's fine. That's great. These last three whiskeys are going to be peated. So we're going to do something <laughs> special here. And then you tell them, try the first peated whiskey. Now let's go to the second peated whiskey. Now go back to the first peated whiskey. Now that first peated whiskey tastes yeah, different yeah. because now you yeah. have context, right? Yeah. And so... Yeah your palate needs to go through a process to understand what it's tasting. And it simply took my palate three quarters of a bottle to understand what the hell it was tasting. And now Springbank is my favorite distillery of all time, period, hands down. That's interesting. I, I believe you have told me that before, but men of a certain age have memories of a... I don't certain... remember exactly what you said. <laughs> Yeah, I, I heard that story for the first time, so thank you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's yeah, so it's rich. interesting. I, and gl hold on one second. This is just so rich, and the texture is unctuous. And, and by rich, I mean the flavors are just full on. There's the sherry, but there's that delicate smoke, and the, those again back to that autumnal quality, right? It's it's like wet leaves on a sandy beach kind of thing going on. And, um, you know, wet, damp firewood, right, that, that wants to burn, but it can't really burn, and it's putting out your fire. and Right? It's all there. It's all there, and it's all lovely. But the fact that you can describe those notes in the 15, and I can find versions of them in the 12, mm -hmm. in the, the 12 cast strength. Like, as soon as you mentioned a moment ago about low tide... Boom. I went straight. I actually poured another dram of this to go back into it and look for low mm. tide. One of the first things I remember encountering with Springbank, and I remember this, readers of Whiskey Magazine named Springbank Distillery the distillery of the millennium, around the time of the millennium. Right. right. It's the only way that makes sense. Because we don't have distilleries that really stretch the last millennium. But if you 
go dip your toe a couple of hundred years into the millennium, <laughs> you get all your distilleries. So, but it always stuck with me that Springbank was named by readers of Whiskey Magazine, right? A bit like people who would listen to this whiskey podcast know a thing or two. People who read Whiskey Magazine would know a thing or two. Sure. And for them to name Springbank the distillery of the millennium really resonated with me and and led me farther down the Springbank path. Mm. And, and so in revisiting it here and looking for those low tide notes or that kind of exposed seaweed, I actually get a barnyardiness hmm. in the Springbank 12 that I wasn't getting on the first dram that then, and I think you hit the nail on the head here as you talk about context and returning to it with context and finding the barnyard in the second pour of it, but the classic Springbank note that I really don't get in any other distillery is toasted coconut. And so if you put a Springbank hmm. in front of me, I may get it or I may not get it, but I'm always looking for toasted coconut. And another aspect that I often get is silage, which for me silage. growing up in the, the country, yeah, growing up in the country in the southwest of Scotland, silage is the grass that the farmer cuts, which he then stores away for winter for the, the cows. And oftentimes in Scotland for dairy cows. Yeah. And and I and I grew up next to a couple of dairy farms. And anytime you exposed the silage, which would just be stored in a pile under plastic with car tires over the top of it all in place. Yeah. But if you could expose some silage you would get that almost fermenting grass quality. So <laughs> yes. the opposite of fresh cut grass, yeah. you would you would get fermenting, steaming grass yes. quality. And sometimes in Springbank, that's the grass quality that I get in it. So to get barnyard and to go exploring and to not necessarily get toasted coconut, but to know that that's a classic note for Michael Jackson – Toasted coconut was a classic note in Springbank. For me, it's it's agriculture of some description. I'm so glad that you said that note. Jason, this is an absolute revelation to me. <laughs> because, because there's always a note in here that I would say it's sort of this must this musty mm -hmm. he, like heavy damp note to it that I that I could never pin, but I would just call it spring bankiness. Like no other mm -hmm. distillery mm -hmm. had it. It's just mm -hmm. you find it in spring bank, period. You may find it in some Glen Giles, right? In some Kilcarens. Um mm -hmm. but I find it here. And now as soon as you mention what that is, I now know what that note is. I never knew what that note is. Well and I think it's tough because sometimes you want to say it's like hay, but it's not hay. It's straw, but it's not straw. It's bedding straw in a rabbit's cage, or it's, right, there's always a wrinkle to it. And when you find out what silage is, yeah. I, think it, I think it resonates, and I think it makes the most sense. It's remarkable, remarkable, yeah. So, okay. so how, how much, uh, so you told us what the 12-year-old cask strength goes for, 
the yes. 15-year-old spring bank. <laughs> Tappity tap tap tap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, I did have to check. The 15-year-old spring bank now goes, oh, geez, it's like 165, though. There is, oh, look at that. Found a shop. Julio's in Massachusetts has it for 140. That's pretty good. What are you on? Oh, so I just went to Google Shopping. Nope. No? <laughs> Springbank uh, 15 at Wine Searcher is showing a national average of 151. And if you're if you're one of the lucky few who lives in, in California, you can access it at Total Wine for 130. Gordon's in Massachusetts have yep. it for 136. Okay, that's that's a good price. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing it's really running the gamut. I, I see one total wine price of $119.99. But mm. you pro- you probably have to be local. Yep, it's for pickup only. Yeah. Oh, that's in Connecticut. Zoinks. Total in Connecticut? Yep. Oh, I didn't know you had total in Connecticut. Yeah. Yes, we do. All right. Um, I've, I'm pouring my fourth. Also, I love... I love the fact. Yeah. Yep. I love, love, love the fact. We each picked a 43%er for our first selection. Mm-hmm. We each picked a Glen Farkless for our second selection. Oh, you changed up the order. These are in no particular order. Yeah, exactly. And so I love yep. that we we partnered Glen Farkless for second selection. We partnered Springbank for third selection. I'm moving on to my fourth here. Okay. And I know this is a distillery that you removed from consideration. <laughs> and so I'm I'm honored to be to be batting on behalf of the team here. But I thought long and hard about this because I feel the same way about this distillery that you feel. And I had a conversation with our our dear Jess, and I know I say that every time I reference her name, I never say, oh, I had a conversation with Jess. I always had a conversation with our dear Jess. Dear Jess, yep. Because she is very dear to us. Yes, she is. And so I had a conversation with our dear Jess about this distillery. And they have a very, very small OB line. But they have a massive, massive additional line, Mm. which are store picks and distributor picks and importer picks Mm -hmm. and club picks. And you can really spend a lifetime, as I I am endeavouring to do, collecting a host of their bottlings. But I, I thought long and hard about this particular bottling. And I do firmly believe... It's one of two from this distillery that should be on every shelf. And I think it fits the remit of what we're looking to achieve today. Okay, so is this one of their standard bottlings or one of the single casks? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I stuck with the remit. This is an OB. This is part of their line. No, I know that, but you you said they've got a very small offering, yes. but then kind of yep. we'll do store picks and things like that. No, 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 okay. no, no. I've gone back to the the small okay. standard ah, okay. lineup. Okay, okay. 
Um, are you gonna? So okay, you did give me a hint. You said it's it's one that I removed from my list. So distillery you removed, but I think if the remit is, why do we like it? And you and I tend to answer with, it represents the best of the distillery mm. style. Mm-hmm. You'll know exactly why I've picked the bottling that I've picked. Do I have to guess? Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, so it's got to be from the, well, it's got to be from the Impex portfolio because those are the it only is from the Impex portfolio. Moving, uh, I'm going to guess Kilhoman because I know you love Kilhoman. It has to be Kilhoman. Let me see the color. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like Macrobay. It has to be Macrobay, right? It absolutely has to be. If you were going to explore the official bottling that best encapsulates what this distillery is running through its stills, this is the bottle you would pick up. And you would have to pick it up. At 46%, it's diluted enough that it becomes introductory. Mm -hmm. It's warming. It's sweet. It allows me to talk about the reflux ball on the pot still. Yeah. And if... You have to figure here, if I'm introducing people to an Isla distillery that they potentially haven't heard of, and they've heard of Lagavulin, they've heard of Ardbeg and Lafroig and Balmore, I, I would leave it at that for the for the Islas that they've heard of. And I introduce them to Kilholman, I am including this in these corporate tastings that I've been doing mm, since October. Yeah. But when I don't pour Macker Bay, which is my favourite... I pour another offering from their lineup, which is oftentimes other people's favorite. It's got to be Seneg. It's exactly Seneg, right? <laughs> because you pivot from predominantly bourbon cask maturation mm-hmm. that, to my mind, lets the Colholman shine through, mm-hmm. to the predominantly sherry cask maturation, which tamps down some of the smoke but it offers up a sweetness that I think as you introduce people to peated whiskey, they don't expect a sweetness. And I think showing them Seneg, I've had so many people these last seven months say, I'd never heard of Kilhoman, I now have Seneg on my shelf. Mm. Or they say, I'd never heard of Kilhoman, I now have a Macker Bay on my shelf. And apparently... I love Isla Pete, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? And, and so I, I, I love that. I absolutely love that. And so if I'm going to say to somebody on this list, here's something that you should definitely have on your shelf. I think you should have Macker Bay on your shelf. Mm. If you instead go with Seneg on your shelf, we're not going to fall out. But Macker Bay is the one on my list. So... Here's an interesting thing about Kilhoman, and and actually I'm going to lump in another distillery with that. But you know this, and I've told you this, and and I may have mentioned it on the podcast, but if I haven't, I'll be very open and honest. Lagavulin is my favorite Isla distillery, and it's likely my favorite distillery after Springbank. But what Lagavulin lacks that Kilhoman has, and I would argue too that the Beaumont Distillery has this too, at least for me, is that when I smell either a Kilhoman or a Beaumont, it smells like Isla to me. I, 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 I smell the, the peat coming out of people's 
you know, home chimneys, right? I smell the the ocean air. I, I it, It's all of it. It's Isla in a glass. And I just feel that, you know, when I pour a Kilhoman, kind of like how Lagavulin transports me back in time, pouring a Kilhoman transports me to Isla, or pouring a Beaumore tra- transports me to Isla. Like, it, it, I just, I feel like I'm authentically there. Yeah, it's interesting when we talk about, for me, a Glenfarclas taking me back to being with my dad, or for you, a Lagavulin taking you back to being with your dad. For me, a Kilhoman takes me back to Kilhoman. And, and I, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to let Anthony know that I think of him like a father. But definitely, <laughs> you know, having that connection to the distillery and, and being there many, many times and experiencing the malt floor and the kiln and the warehouses. Yes, it's a modern distillery, but they have their own presence. Mm-hmm. And I love that pour this dram, be transported to that location. And I I think Kilhoman does that incredibly well. And one of the things that I go looking for, and I know our friend Jared Card does this as well, Kilhoman are putting out STR maturation, Calvados maturation, Sautern maturation, Mm -hmm. like support, so on and so forth, right? I'm always looking for the Kilhoman in those different casks. That's the search for me. And and sometimes I find it and sometimes I don't. And the ones that I like less are the ones where I don't. Mm. And the ones that I like most are the ones where I do. And so 2016 Sautern release has Kilhoman in there, amplified, benefited by the Sautern. That's what I love. And so to strip all that away and to go back to Kilhoman, I'm going to argue for Macrobe. I'm going to implore people, even if you love the Seneg, I still want you to put Macrobe on your shelf so that of an evening, when you want a Seneg with a sherry component, you pour it next to a Macrobe and you don't forget about the Kilhoman that is in that release. Isn't it so interesting, you know, when you and I suggest whiskeys, kind of like what we're doing here, right? We're talking about the, you know, the the whiskeys you must have on your shelf. But quite often we talk about a whiskey matured in bourbon because it lets the spirit character shine through. However, we both picked a Glenfarclas, and and Glenfarclas... Mm -hmm. Is, is predominantly sherry cask matured. But interestingly enough, it I would argue that sherry cask maturation is integral to Glenfarclas's spirit character and their, their distillery, again, nod to Dr. Matt Bishop here, uh, you know, it's integral to their DNA, right? You don't, it's kind of like Macallan, you know, we, we've all had our Macallans, but then when you taste one in bourbon, it doesn't taste like the Macallans that you, you've, you've, you've known about and you've enjoyed in the past. Correct. And it, I always found Correct. that kind of interesting, like somehow the Glen Farklesses and Macallans and, and Tam Dews and, and Aberlauers of the world get a pass because they predominantly do 
sherry, Glendronach, right? Gets a pass because it does predominantly sherry. Yeah, yeah. And I think you and I have talked about it plenty of times where th- that Isla Peat, I really want access to it. And does Isla Peat do well in sherry? Absolutely. And have we enjoyed it? Absolutely. But there's just a part of me I just want to get exposure to that Isla Peat. And the bourbon allows me that type of exposure. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll make this final comment on pricing, then we'll throw it back over to you. We're looking at 45 to 65 a bottle in the yeah. range here. Um, if, if you find it at 45, you've got a, a stonking deal in your hands. Make sure you pick it up. If you find it at 65, still well, well worth it. Do not run in the opposite direction. And that's that's my Macker Bay. And, and as you know, my shelf just behind me here <laughs> over my shoulder is, is a lot of Colhoman on that. And I, I reach for Colhoman on a daily basis. There's and I. It's your favorite distillery. I'm trying to say... Right? I, it has become. It yeah, has become. It has yeah. become my favorite distillery. Yeah. yeah. Okay, man. Number four for you. I'm curious. Number four for me. Um, we're, we're moving away from Pete. We're up in the Speyside oh. region of, of Scotland. Oh. oh. This is a single malt uh, owned by a larger corporation. And it is the base for the <laughs> Jewers blend. Aberfeldy? And it is not Aberfeldy. Krigeliki. It is Krigeliki. And it's the specifically the 13-year-old. Oh, interesting. Right? So with thir- 13 years of age, what, I, what you and I discovered about Krigeliki is that up until 10, 11, 12-ish, maybe even 13 years of age, young... Regardless of the age, 13 years and younger, there tends to be this phenolic component, this really heavy presence that if you were to taste it blind, you might even think that it's peated, right? You might even think it's a lechig or or something like that. But at around 13 years of age, that phenolic character goes away and starts presenting fruitier characteristics. And so kind of like... Absolutely. Right? Kind of like this, um, the Glen Farkless 15, right? Where, where I talk about it still having some of that younger vibrancy, but then some older qualities to it. I think this Krigeliki lives comfortably in both these worlds where you have a little bit of the phenols coming through. But now some good fruit is coming through, like apples and and quince and and even even like a bit of um, a reduced strawberry going on there, right? I lo- we we discussed this with Stephanie McLeod, we, we right? We did. Yes. Love, love, love discovering strawberry notes in Craigellicky. <laughs> love it. Sin- Absolutely love it. Since that conversation, that's what I look for now in Craigellicky. <laughs> I'm like, where, where's that strawberry note? Um, but, but we talk about this a lot, right? And, and we still, we're, we're year five, we still haven't had our worm tub episode. We will have that worm tub episode eventually. But this is, right, this is one of 16, 17 distilleries now that, that use worm tubs, so you get this heavier style of spirit, right? So it's always got a good, good weighty presence and a meatiness and overall like um, uh, 
meaty is sort of a bad term because you think, okay, this is going to taste like roast pork or something or like, you know, uh, a brisket. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, like, there's this heavy, chewy kind of quality to it. It's funny that you say that about the the meatiness even being being interpreted as a bad note. In talking a moment ago about the Seneg, I'll often get people intrigued by talking about smoked meat. And I think, and you and I have had this with, with certain sherry-matured lechigs, you almost get a smoked barbecue note out of it. And it's so interesting to me that the American palate, writ large, an expression we both love, mm-hmm. loves smoked meat, but doesn't, writ large love smoked whiskeys and I'm always trying to bridge that gap and so in talking about Seneg and smoked meats but for you and I talking about the Kregeliki that that we bottled that had a particular umami quality to it we talked about chicken noodle soup or we talked about ramen you know in a chicken broth Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and, you know we, we talked about we talked about those and so I only encountered people for whom meaty notes in whiskey were very attractive and very appealing and would really draw them into it and connect their dining experience to their drinking or tasting experience. Yeah. Often though, when I, when I think of meat, when I use the term meaty, like I'll, I'll often use that term when talking about Kregeliki or Old Pulteney, or sometimes uh, Glen Elgin, or something like that. And it's it's more a, a texture thing. It's this weightiness to it. So it's not it's not a flavor note, but it's this heavy, chewy weightiness that that I associate with meat. Right when I when I used to eat meat, you know, you, you cut into a steak, and there's a chewy, heavy flate. There's a chewy texture to it. But there's also a heaviness and flavor. So what's my four-letter word for that? Four-letter word. Um... Let's do a little on your hangman. Give me a letter that you think could be in this four-letter word. Um, H. Yep. Oh, heft. It's got heft. There you it's got go. Exact. That's exactly my use of heft. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, so that's, and if you and yeah. if you talk about if you talk about Springbank having heft, yep, check. If you talk about Craig Ellicky having heft, yep, check. Yep. Talk about Glenn Farkless having check, so, having heft, yeah, check. So you and I have 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 both used the word meaty together, and now I'm starting to to discover that your use of meaty may be slightly different from my use of meaty. So when you use the word meaty, what, what, is, what are you trying to convey there? Well, if you're talking about smoked meats, then you're talking about that barbecue note, that wood smoke note. But if you're talking about ramen, you're, you're talking about the omami quality of it, right? And those are two distinctly different versions of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, of that kind of meatiness to it. But then if you bring up Lefroig and you start talking about the meatiness of a Lefroig, you're talking about the the pork skin of it, right? The crackling of it. 
is is what I get from the mm. Lefroigs. So, and then sometimes Lefroigs, older Lefroigs, can have that greasiness, almost like a cold bacon fat kind of quality. And so, huh. you know, for two for two guys that have lived vegetarian vegan for, you know, <laughs> almost three decades, Christ, three decades for you, two and a half for me, um, to be talking about these meaty notes, I, I, again, I think it speaks to what we talked about earlier about going back to camping with your dad and, and for me in a younger age being with my dad, which is it's visceral meat memories of it, right? It's it's getting in the Wayback Machine, the time machine, and being able to say, oh, this reminds me of... Huh that meaty experience Interesting. or that meaty experience I'm putting a trademark on that You don't just think you can walk around this world using meaty experience and you won't have to give me a nickel meaty experience, TM yeah, so that's that's really interesting almost TMI <laughs> so interestingly when it comes to using the term meaty for me, like I said, it's a broad brush statement that talks about a heft or talks about a texture quality, but not necessarily a, not necessarily a flavor quality. But when I get a meatiness, like an actual flavor meatiness, then I get a bit more specific. Like I'll say oxtail soup or right pork fat or, you know, something like this, smoked kippers. And so that's interesting. So, yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad you bring up smoked kippers again because I know you're a gentleman like myself who hates pin number. And smoked kippers is a pin number of the culinary world. Is it? Is it the ATM kippers, machine of, of, uh, of the culinary world? Kippers, by their very existence, are smoked. <laughs> you can just say kippers. I, I believe it's the haddock that is smoked. And so kippers are smoked haddock, if I'm remembering that correctly, wow. from my fish eating days. But yes, That's... you said that earlier and I, and I wanted to make a call back to it. And so you brought it up and so I, I couldn't resist. I, I now thank you so much because I hate pin number. I hate ATM yes, machine. Do. I yes, hate, you do. Here's another one that, that certain people, certain listeners are going to love this one. MSDS sheets. So, right. I, you know, I, I used to work in manufacturing, and in the manufacturing world, there's always these MSDS, material safety data sheets. But M, everybody says MSDS sheets, so it'd be material safety data sheet sheets, kind of like automated teller machine machine, right? It's the same annoyance. Aaron Krauss is loving this. Aaron Krauss is absolutely loving this <laughs> so so really quickly uh the Krigelki 13 is an absolute go-to for me again it has that that heft to it uh the the texture is wonderfully rich and decadent and and chewy it's very fruity there's a bit of floral quality going on there as well and it's like a 49 50 bottle Right, 46%. Did you mention the strength? Yeah, 46% non-chill filtered natural color for for 49.50 bucks. It's no it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer and a perfect one. If you've been vaccinated, you have friends coming over, grab a bottle of this, open it up, share it. I think you're going to love it. 
I have to do that. I definitely, you know, obviously Single Cast Nation loves Craig Ellicke. And so, but I, I don't have the 13 on my shelf. Oh, Jesus. I've, yeah, you need to. I've got that rather wonderful, unique, was it the 19-year-old that we Oh, the 19-year-old single sherry cast? That was my whiskey Good of the year. Yes. Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Good Lord. That was amazing. Okay, I will. I will add a bottle of the 13-year-old to, do it. to the shelves. Yep, yep, you'll be very happy you did. So I'm going to turn the tide on you here. It's kind of like, yeah, go ahead. Turn the tide. Do everything. To, I'm about to turn the tide on you as well. Let's see if we turn the tide in similar <laughs> ways, Jason, in similar ways. Well, I, I've taken the lead on the first four. All right. And so I'm putting you in the driver's seat for the fifth. Wow. So truth be told, I brought seven bottles with me. And and the reason I brought seven bottles is six of them were whiskey with one one of them and I was gonna choose one of them to beat out the other one, right? Uh and then and then one's a wild card, a non whiskey. But but I'm going back to we're we're staying within the, the rubric of whiskey here. But I am changing it up in the bedroom a little bit. Mm-hmm. So the whiskey that I have in my glass, oh my gosh. It's from the world. It's from the world. It is incredibly unique, but I think fits well within the the category of world single malt. But I, I would I would posit that there's no distillery that is making whiskey like this with such consistency and just nonstop deliciousness. Oh, look at that confused look on your face. I love it. You look like you're, you look like you're an alien from another planet who's, you're looking at me and you're saying, I see words coming out of his mouth. I don't understand what he's saying, but I'm going to try to use contextual clues to figure it out. And that's where I'm running into the problems. Yeah. Because that's the way you would speak about a milk and honey mm-hmm. or a pendaren. Mm-hmm. But you've taken the Impex portfolio out of the running. Yes. Which could potentially bring us to a Westland. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to think which store shelf Westland you would recommend. And I don't... I don't think you would. I think we run into the the same problem that we do with some of our scotches, which is it's all the special releases that are the ones that we have on our shelves. So that, that would potentially take a Westland out of the running, which has me scrambling for where would you have gone? A, a Paul John, an Amrut. But then I think... He's really been into the whiskeys from down there, even before you came back from down there. That's very true. And so, and I'm obviously talking Australia, not Florida. Would you pick something from Lee and Bree at Backwoods? Like, I really am genuinely confused on your world single malt selection. So there's a reason that I brought six whiskeys with me. 
and and landed on five. And interestingly enough, you've named two of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's a Westland, mm-hmm. and then there is this rye whiskey from Backwoods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the Lee and Bree. That was yes. That was that was the Lee and yes. Bree. So that's a yes. It's a rye whiskey matured in a Shiraz cask uh, from the Backwoods distilling distillery uh but i did not pick the backwoods one i picked westland and the only reason why i did that is even though the backwoods is an ob this is from a single cask they don't have a core range just yet but this bottle is it's just drop dead gorgeous it's just wonderful and isn't in the united states just and it's not in the united states but we have we have a great listenership in australia so indeed we do so yeah so it's it's only in it's only in australia and it's not really off you know off australian land so so i didn't want to include Mm -hmm. that and and so i loved your question because i think you're correct when it comes to westland what are the mm-hmm. things that we love the most? It's this, mm-hmm. it's the one-offs. It's the unusual things. Mm-hmm. But their core range, just their standard American oak, that's what I've poured, is so beautiful because it does exactly what we've been talking about since I think the first whiskey, where it conveys a distillery style perfectly. If you want to teach someone about single malt from America, this is this is the bottling that you open. This is the one that you show them because it highlights they're using five different malts, right? They they have their Belgian brewer's yeast. They're, yes, they're using new chard oak, but they're also using um, they're also using ex bourbon casks as well, right? To step back a little bit, let the spirit character come through, and it's only three years old. Right, so it's, you know, the cask is not taking over. They're really allowing the spirit character to shine. And what I love about this whiskey is it, it just highlights everything I love about the distillery, that, that like, chocolate-covered bananas, you know, and the... Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, like, graham cracker, like, uh, almost like... um like if you were to make homemade graham crackers, the cookie dough itself, the dough itself, right? Ginger snaps, you know, fresh ginger, uh, like a chai latte. Like it's all in here and it's all beautiful and it's all delicious. And and it, it upsets me that most people don't know what to do with Westland, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you say, oh, let's try this Westland. And they say... And we've had this conversation, you know, just you and me. I think we've had it with Matt Hoffman in the past where you say you go to a store and they don't know where to put Westland because it's an American whiskey, so they assume bourbon. But wait a second, it's not bourbon. It's single malt. But we don't have a single malt section. We have a scotch section. So where does this go? Does it go in the world whiskey section? Wait a second, it's <laughs> from America. Thing, yeah. You know, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's this whiskey that can fit in in a couple different categories, I think fits best in the world whiskey category. I don't need, and we've discussed this before. I don't even call this this is not craft yeah. whiskey. This is world whiskey. Um yeah. and and I just I want more people to discover it because I think it's just glorious, glorious juice. It'll be interesting 
you and I have heard rumours that the the OB line might be changing. Mm. And it, it, it might be a curious circumstance where you're making a recommendation for something that could go away. And that, that happens with whiskey. Yes, it does. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the whiskeys come and go. But it, it'll be interesting to see what Remy decide to do with, as you and I have discussed through this entire episode, how to represent the distillery mm. in a lineup. And so the next time we speak to Matt Hoffman, which will be in the very, very near future, we will be asking these questions and we will see where that goes. But yeah. I would say to our listeners, if you are seeing the Westland American Oak and it is being recommended by Joshua here, maybe go ahead and pick it up. Treat yourself while you still can. You know, uh, the last thing that I'll say about not just Westland, I, I, I would I would say that this... This sentiment um, is is tied to many newer American distilleries, and this is something actually that we've discussed with Robin Robinson on our episode with him some somewhere around season two, where there are a lot of modern distilleries that are focusing just as much on the fermentation side as they are on the maturation side. Where we're in Scotland, in Japan, in India, and 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 all around, right? They're they're, they're making a hopless beer, right? That for for lack of a better term, it's barley, yeast, water. You ferment it for forty eight to a hundred hours, and you distill that. They're not really too concerned about what that fermentation tastes like. It has. It has to make, you know, in the end, the whiskey has to be good, but they're not focusing so much on the fermentation end of it, where Westland and Copperworks and uh, Westward and and a few others are really focusing on the, the fermentation side of it. What are these malts going to do? What is this yeast going to do, right? And then distill that. That That's something new, and, and I think kind of unique at least so far kind of unique to american distilling I, th- I think there are other craft producers around the world that are focusing on the fermentation side of it but but it's been a thing in the u.s which which i've enjoyed and and westland grabbed that approach by the by the cojones and and really yeah. went forward with it yeah yeah i just included the cold foot in a tasting oh, nice just earlier uh, earlier this week, last week, yeah, nice. and 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 just any time I get a chance to talk about a mixed mash bill of barley, yeah, right, right, <laughs> still a single malt, but it's a brewer's mixed mash bill mm-hmm. of malt, correct. And in talking about those chocolate malt flavors within a Westland, I I love it. I I love being able to represent that. Mm. To people who are discovering the distillery for the very first time. And I'll actually have a tasting coming up in another week where I will include the cold foot again because it's just so good and yeah. represents the distillery yeah. so well. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, let me just end with this. If that backwoods distilling bottling were a standard bottle, even if it was only available in Australia... Just, just like the um, the Glen Farkless 15 that's not available in the U.S., I would totally <laughs> recommend that because 
what they're doing with rye and doing with wine casks to, to make that final product is really, really remarkable. And it's young, but it's expressive and it's complex and it's satisfying and it's comforting and it's all the things that I that I look for. And they're even using a bit of malted rye, which you know I dislike, and they're making it work. <laughs> they're making it work. Am I correct in saying the Westland is the first non-age statement you've included among your five? You, sir, are 100% correct, though they do on their website say a minimum a, a minimum maturation of 36 months, which by my count is, is three years. I don't know why they use the whole months thing, but there you go. It's kind of like your children, right? So, so I did something a little different from you is I brought four bottles. Uh, instead of say six or seven, because <laughs> because it's hard when you say this is the last spot. What gets in and what doesn't, and and what I would say is, I desperately wish there was a Glen Murray that I could say to people to buy religiously, regularly along with the other four that, that I've recommended this episode. But I tend to find, and this is why I was so intrigued by your Westland selection, all of my favourite Glen Murrays are either the Fill Your Owns or the Curiositas or, you know, the, you know, the, the off-the-beaten-path Glen Murrays. Mm. And the, the OB Glen Murrays and the strength that the OB Glen Murrays have come out just haven't allowed me to say this is the go-to. Get this one. And I understand that you and I operate from a privileged position where we we pick up, you know, our bottles at the visitor center when we go and see Ian and mm -hmm. we go dramming with Ian and Elgin. You know, or we have we'll message Ian and say, hey, could you Ian is the visitor center manager. Um and we say, Ian, could could you put those to the side for us and we'll pick them up the next time we see you? Like, that's an incredibly privileged position. Fair. So on one hand, I want Glenn Murray to be on people's radars, but I can't go on and say, oh, you must buy this particular one because it's available to so few or in one location. So, so I'm a little torn there. So Glenn Murray didn't make it into the fifth spot, which is, which is tricky. The other one that is clearly in the running for me and takes us outside of the malt remit, um, it's also one that I've been including in my, my corporate days since October, and you and I have talked about it on the podcast many, many, many times, is Black Tot Rum. And, and in terms of offering up something that is for the whiskey drinker's palate, and obviously we're dear, dear friends with Ollie Chilton <laughs> and we drink with Ollie and, and we see what he's doing with Black Tot and it's imported by Impex and I've included it in my tastings. There's a whole host of reasons to not include it in this, but it would it, we would be remiss to not bring it up. And so Black Tot would have been one for me to close out in spot number five. So I didn't do that either. <laughs> would, would you would you not say though that the the Glen Murray eighteen 
is just a wonderful go-to whiskey. I mean, th- that one's I got don't a, own a bottle. You don't own a bottle? I, yeah. I, I, it's, I don't own a bottle. It's not on my shelf. It's not a go-to. I'm, I'm looking at my Glen Murray shelf to see what I could offer up. And it's it's nothing that is here's, a regular store-bought he, Glen Murray. Here's what you do. Find a bottle of the 18. Open it. Pour it. If you don't love it as an everyday drinker like this like these have been, let me know and I'll buy the rest of it from you. Because I think the 18 does a great job of expressing the distillery character. It's a higher ABV, which is which is good, and it's non-chill filtered. Oh. Yeah. You have my attention. Yeah. Yep. I, I think the Glenmurray 18, granted it's a pricier bottling, but... As far as their own core range goes, I think that might be the uh, uh, the zenith. Hmm. It's interesting you say that, though, because Anthony Levinson at, at Roma in New York just did a similar thing with me when I was finalizing an order, and, and he said, the Benromic 10 might be the best Benromic in the lineup. And I said, I don't own any Benromic at all. Wow. He said... You, you should get this one, and I and I said I'm only getting it because I thoroughly, thoroughly trust your palate and your recommendations, and so I will I will make a similar flourish with the Glen Murray 18 and and see where we land with. Have it. you received the Ben Romach yet? Not yet. No, oh, okay. Not. I wanted to know what you thought because I, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. I have a bottle. I remember I remember my my blog post. So I bought the bottle and I wrote mm. a blog post and the title was it the title of it was um more interesting than a black hole. Something like that. Mm. And it was mm. an intriguing I remember it being an intriguing whiskey. I still have that bottle. I, it'd be interesting to go back cuz it's a peated space cider with a little a bit of sherry in it. So mm. Give it a go. You'll never know. Time will tell. Time will tell, Time Jason. Will tell. So, and then another one. <laughs> like, here's the thing. I, I, I could list, you know, a dozen fifth places and a, a, a dozen honorable mentions. But this was the point at which I realized in looking around my shelves, I don't have a series of OBs that I That's the problem. rely upon. That's the problem. Right? Yeah. So so okay, so, so do this. Yeah. Yeah. Just look at your look at your shelves. Yep. Look for the OBs and grab the yep. first one that has you say, Yeah. Just go ahead, dude. Hard bag five wee beastie. Boom. Grab it. Grab it. Pour it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, make that happen. There he goes. Jason gets up. He walks over to his shelves. He pull your pants back up, sir. There you go. There he goes. He grabs the bottle. He's starting to loosen the cork. Do you know what else I almost picked? Okay. Oh, look at that. And and this is one that I wouldn't put in the list because it it was discontinued. And knock sixty. That Anoch 16 was remarkable. I didn't enjoy the the replacement to it, the with the virgin oak or whatever. 
it just didn't seem to have the same magic as that original ex-bourbon yeah. Anach 60. I think, I think Gordon said there was going to be an 18-year-old that was 100% bourbon. That's what, I think he said that the last time Jess and I mm. saw him. Might even have been on the One Nation Under Whiskey podcast, but my memory is certainly not that good. But I, I remember him saying, because I, I do, I lament to him every time I see him, the loss of the 16-year-old 100% bourbon was was failed. I, I look for it and in so, every store. Every store I go into, I look for the Anak 16. Well, I've got terrible news for you because I bought them all from all of those stores you're looking at. <laughs> <in. laughs> I bought Anak 16 at the Old Pulteney Distillery because they had some. Oh, that's funny. That makes sense. Because they're in the same stable. Yeah. Yep. So, so there you go. Arbeg Wee Beastie, five years old. I mention this to people all the time, all the time. I think I got my bottles for $40 a bottle, $45 a bottle. It's the type of thing I buy by the six pack or the 12 pack. And you mentioned this earlier about last time you got your Lagavulin 16s, you got a rake of them because they were on sale. Yeah. I, I, I do that in a host of different places. And then I split with friends. Right. And then I make sure that I can go ahead and get another six pack Ex- or 12 Exactly. Pack. You don't, just because you're buying six or 12 bottles doesn't mean you have to get them all. You can, you can share. Mm. So I... I Good and yeah. oily. Yeah. Does what young Isla should do. It's not quite as fatty as Ardbeg. There's not quite the same white chocolate to it. But of a night... Or as I'm transitioning from my office to to downstairs in the kitchen to go and make dinner, as I'm about to do, mm. I you know, mm. ch- chucking in the Arbeg Five into a glass, taking it downstairs, boom. You know, I, I mentioned way back in the beginning of this podcast three weeks ago that the Glasgow blend I can drink like water. Ardbeg Five, the wee beastie at forty seven point four, I could just absolutely refresh myself. At the end of the day with us. Yep. Yep. That's, that reminds me, I'm maybe three quarters of the way through my bottle. So I need to, I need to remedy that. Um, But to bring this full circle. Please. This to me articulates why you and I had the issue with the list of 150 to $200 whiskeys put out by Zach Johnston. We didn't have an issue with there being... 10 recommended bottles in that price range. No. To My issue was, yes, you could spend that on those or you could spend this on these. It, this is so perfect. <laughs> right? So, All right. So the listeners <laughs> won't know this because of my insane editing skills, but you had taken a break at one point to, to make a pee-pee. And Ooh. I had nothing to do, did I do so I, I I did what I always do. I just pop onto Facebook, and someone had posted onto the Scotch Addict um, page and said, "I saw a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue. It was 151 bucks. Should I get it? That's a really good price." And that person is 100 percent correct. 151 dollars for Johnny Walker Blue is a phenomenal price. It's really good. I, I think the cheapest I ever saw was maybe 139 and that was that's almost too cheap for that. But but anyway, long story short, it's typically an expensive bottle. And most of the comments on there and and I made a comment, you know, just being honest. Most of the comments on there were 
you can find better whiskeys at a better price. Like it, it's a good whiskey. We're not saying it's mm-hmm. a bad whiskey. It's a good whiskey. Mm-hmm. But you can find other blends that can be just as satisfying. What if you buy that and all of a sudden it doesn't fit your flavor profile? And what if you're a new whiskey drinker and you say, you know what, I, I, I saw this on a list of, of, of you know bottles from $150 to $200 and you buy that and you taste it and you say, I don't like this. And the list had told you, if you can get whiskey from this list or within this price range, you're guaranteed to be getting the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you don't like it and now you're put off on whiskey, period. That's definitely happened. And so I think our point today is, what was the Kregelke 13-year-old? It's a $49 bottle. Your Kilhoman in yeah. uh, Macker Bay, 49, $45 to $65 bottle, right? The Westland, I think, is like a $75, $79 bottle, something like that. You can spend a lot less money on a bottle to find out whether you love it or hate it. And hopefully you love it, but if you hate it, at least you didn't spend too much. So price yeah. should never be an indication of quality, just as age is never an indication of quality. It's just an indication of how much you're going to spend. That's it. Which is interesting to me that Ardbeg, who are known for having a line of names plus a 10-year-old, went with both on the wee beastie. They went with a name and an age statement. And they they put the five right smack dab in the middle of the label. If Ardbeg had put out wee beastie at this price, nobody, nobody would have been asking for an age statement. Nobody. Nobody. Right, so, and yet it's there. And yet it's there. So it gets back to one of my favorite animated gifts, with that cute little girl saying, "Why not both? <laughs> right? Why right? not both? It's okay to have a fun yeah. name and an age statement. I want to see five years on a bottle. I want to see four years. Like I want to see that. I love that Westland is saying our maturation time is three years. That's beautiful." It, it it's not going to tell you of the quality. It just gives you an understanding of, okay, this is what this whiskey tastes like at three years of age. In a few months, you you and I are going to release a couple seven-year-old Westlands. What does Westland taste at seven years old, right? So it's mm-hmm. I think it'll be good mm-hmm. for people to get an understanding of not what age does to price, but what age could do to flavor profile. Yep. Okay, Joshua, I... This has been a treat. This has been exactly what I hoped it would be. Before we get out of here, just as a recap, I'm just going to simply list my five, and then you can list your five, and we can thank our dear listeners, and we can call it a day. So my five for just five things you should definitely, definitely have on your shelf. Great King Street by Compass Box Glasgow Blend. Glen Farkless 105. Springbank 12-year-old cask strength, Kilhoman Macker Bay, and Ardbeg Wee Beastie 5-year-old. There you go. God, what a list. That's a great list. So mine is <laughs> Lagavulin 16-year-old, followed by Glen Farkless 15-year-old, followed by Springbank 15-year-old, followed by Krigeliki 13-year-old, then followed by Westland 
American oak. And honourable mentions go to every whiskey not named. <laughs> Indeed, I'm looking at my walls. I mean, last, 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 last point, right? I mentioned before I still have my bottle of Ben Romick 10-year-old. It's not because it's yeah. a bad whiskey. It's because I have more whiskey than I will ever drink in my life, which gets back to a point you were mentioning earlier. We are way too privileged for our own good. No one should have as yeah. much whiskey as you and I have. And some people, this isn't even a dent in what some people have. Uh, it's, it's really something else. But this is the beautiful thing about whiskey, right? That's how unique and expressive and interesting and fun it could be. There's always new flavors to be explored through OB's, official bottlings, or through IB's, independently bottled whiskeys. Right? This is why we do what we do. It's, it's following that flavor. It's, it's, it's it just keeps going. Yep. It just keeps going. And I'll say this for our listeners. I know you've got your cherished bottles as well. Drop us an email. Questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. No Ian Whiskey. What's your go-to? Mm. Let us know. Oh, yeah. You know, if we, if we get enough of those, we'll share them on a future episode. But it's, it's good to continue adding to those go-to whiskeys uh, that you drink. Yeah. No-brainer. And and why? I, not a, I want to know not just what their yeah, go to is. I want to yeah, know why. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's important. That's yeah. very important. The why is important. So drop us a note. Questions at one nation under whiskey.com. No Ian Whiskey. That's me, Joshua. And that's me, Jason. Let's uh let's make like a uh a shepherd and get the flock out of here. Let's make like a tree and leaf. Chin chin. Two chins. <laughs> Got a glass, got a bottle, we'll travel. I have glasses and bottles. I brought two glasses. Mm-hmm. I can I can get a second. I can get a third. I can get a fourth. I can get a fifth. I, without really moving, I could get probably eight glasses. If you <laughs> okay, but Walter. I, you know. You, know, you need a tub? I like to brag. I can get you a tub. What time is it? Yeah. I can get you a tub by three o'clock. Just, yeah. Yeah. Come with a new one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the microphone's picking up your shoulder shrugging. <laughs> uh, that's what the microphone wants you to think. <laughs>